If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. So in this episode, you're going to hear us talking to uh, Mark Bell. Now, we do record these intros after the interview, um, and uh, I'll tell you, we had a good time. We had a good time meeting with him. No, it was a, it was a really good time, and I think, God, we did... With him, we did three, 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 three hours on his podcast, right. two yeah. hours on ours. This was a long day. It was. A lot, lot to talk about. I was impressed with his operation, too. We show up to his facility, and we were treated with incredible hospitality. His staff was on point. Mm-hmm. The store in the front was amazing. The The gym was, if you're a strength athlete- It was that impeccable. Was a, yeah. Oh, that's a, yeah. that's what, a gym. What a great gym. That's a gym for strength athletes. I, I also really appreciate how- Mark and his team and everybody handle everything because you know I've given him a lot of shit the last couple of years uh, on this podcast when talking about his interview um, because he was one of the first interviews we did and he, d- and he did it in his car. <laughs> we were a little salty there for a while, right. and so yeah. I, you know, when uh, and, and Sal brought it up in this interview, so you'll hear it at one point. Sal calls it right out, uh, and we talk about it. And so I think that I, I really appreciate how how Mark handles it. I think that he was a great sport about it. Um, and I, and I shit, since then shit, we've been texting back and forth. So, um, got a lot of respect for the guy. I know we have a lot of mutual friends that yeah. everybody that we keep running into. He's would, pretty well liked in the, in very, our space. Very well. I can yeah. see why, you know, he's a likable guy. He, he definitely cares a lot about like helping people. So mm-hmm. that comes through. You can find him on Instagram at Mark Smelly Bell. Uh, his website is Mark Bell Slingshot. Of course, he's the inventor of the slingshot, which a uh, brilliant, uh, piece of, um, equipment that you put around your arms that helps you, yeah, improve your bench strength. I know Justin's messed around with I've it. I've been messing around. I love it so far. Yeah, it's really good. His podcast is Mark Bell's Power Project. Um, also, I want to remind everybody that uh, in February this month, all month long, Maps Performance. This is our functional based training program. This is for people who want to move like well-rounded athletes and want to look like a well-rounded athlete. There's a lot of core work, a lot of rotational work a lot of unconventional exercises, a special focus on mobility. It's the program I think everybody should do, especially people who are serious about mm. the overall fitness. Um, it's half off. So 50% off MAPS Performance. It's also getting revamped. So if you have MAPS Performance now or if you enroll it with the 50% off sale, when it gets updated, you'll get the automatic update at no additional cost. So here's what you do for the discount. Go to mapsfitnessproducts.com and use the code GREEN50, G R E E N. Five zero no space for fifty percent off, and on that site is our other or are our other maps programs and maps bundles with for you know different goals, different targets, uh, different experience levels. You can find all those at mapsfitnessproducts.com. Um, so without any further ado, here we are talking to Mark Bell. Well, Mark, you've been training at a high level for a very very long time. You're not uh, nec- you're not an old guy, but you're not a spring chicken. What are some of the in your experience? In your experience, what are some of the benefits that come along with age? We all know what the the, the detriments are, right? You're not gonna, you can't recover as fast. The aches and pains. Can't get it up. You yeah. can't. I swear to God, I'm not as say handsome. That. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff. But what are some of the benefits? Like, what have you experienced that have come along with age now that you can say that you makes gives you an advantage over 25 year old Mark Bell? Um, I would say. Probably the biggest advantage is just uh, being more accurate, you know, and, and and doing the lift the right way. You know, when I was young, maybe I just didn't I didn't know or didn't care, and I just wanted to kind of get in there and get after it. Uh, but I think accuracy and efficiency are are huge. They're really important. 
Um, you want to try to get the most out of the least, you know, try to, you know, get, the, get as much as you possibly can from that workout that you possibly could. And stimulating the central nervous system, which is just, you know, the, the, the this idea of like trying to get stronger. Um, it, it doesn't look like what most people think it looks like. How do you mean? It just doesn't have, you don't have to be a maniac mm. to do it. Um, like, uh, you're not going to go to jail and you're not going to go to hell if you do the exercise with proper form and technique. You actually are going to make so much more progress when you do the lift the right way. And, you know, I think a, a question, a good like internal dialogue to have with yourself is, okay, I'm going to go through this particular workout for the day. You want to start to think about what 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 is your intent of the day? What are you trying to do? Even if you don't program for yourself, even if even if you guys, even if I followed Mind Pump, some something that you guys wrote, and I said, okay, well, they said they wanted me to do do some explosive stuff. So, what's the intent of the day? The intent of the day is to move fast. All right. Well, that's the intent of the day. Well, let me get my body, mind, and spirit all wrapped around this concept and this idea. So, as I've gotten older, you know, I, I've I've kind of understood this idea of let me get some pre-workout in, and I'm not talking about a, a supplement. I'm talking about pre-workout as in it's Monday, and I'm thinking about last Monday's workout when I missed it. You know, so it's, 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 uh, when, when that Monday rolls around again, I'm thinking about it on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, think about that whole week. And I start thinking about, okay, why did I miss that squat? Why did I miss that bench press? Or maybe it's cause I just didn't eat enough, or maybe that wasn't, you know, I haven't been sleeping for shit. You start to kind of analyze some things. So I've learned to just, I guess, be, you know, patience is a huge virtue in life and, and in the gym. And then uh, in addition to that is, is, is having an intent uh, of the day, having uh, a purpose behind each thing that you do and having efficiency and accuracy with that. Now, before, what was different? You would just go in and just berserk, just I'm going to go after this and crush it and forget about it. Yeah. So I thought like if you were going to do a set of five, I thought it was like an all out set of five. I thought you, that you shouldn't be able to do six. But really, um, well, and this this comes with lifting maturity, though, too. So this is a blessing of, of having lifted for many years. Once you've lifted for many years, you can potentially, and maybe it won't work for everybody, but you can potentially get more out of less um, due to a, a, a lot of different factors. But I think a, a good idea for most people is to try to think about how many repetitions can they do in a workout with bad form? And this is something that you want to think about if you're doing a five by five or you're doing three sets of three or somebody says, hey, I want to see you do eight sets of four of this, uh, you know, 78 percent of your max or whatever. Well, the percentage is nice. It's nice. They gave you a recommendation, but forget about the percentage. Let's see what it looks like, because your interpretation of how you do four reps and my interpretations of, of four reps might look completely different. And this was laid out really, really well by Jim Wendler in his book, 531. Mm where he talks about, look, man, I don't want you to die on your set of five. I want to see a good, clean set of five. Maybe you could have done seven. Maybe you could have done eight. But I don't want rep number one of set number one to look like you're going to die when you're doing, when I'm asking you to do two or three sets of five. And then same thing as you progress each week and you start to move into doing sets of three and sets of one. He always wanted you to kind of leave a little bit of room. Um, a lot of people will say, you know, you're kind of leaving a little bit of room in the tank. You got a little bit little bit extra. And I think that's an important concept. It's an important concept concept for all aspects of life. And it's hugely important in the gym. When you think about 
this idea of uh, you want to go in there and get a good, strong training session in, and you're trying to get stronger. Well, a huge uh, important factor of getting stronger is how are you going to recuperate from this workout? So you want to get in there, but you want to stick and move. You don't want to stay on the inside for too long because you're going to get caught by something <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're going to get caught by a dangerous punch at some point and it's going to knock your ass out. You're going to end up being knocked out of the game. And as soon as you get hurt or as soon as, um, and there's many different versions of getting hurt. Uh, you can even just hurt and impede your recovery, not not necessarily just have pure injury. Um, like hurt your progress. Yeah, you hurt your progress. You, you, you hurt yourself. You fucked up. You messed up. Like mm-hmm. you had this opportunity. You're going in there to try to be better and you made yourself, you made yourself worse. And you can actually, you know, you could see this from fatigue, obviously, in a given workout. You get fatigued so much you can't uh, do a push up or something like that, right? But this happens over periods of time, too, where you fatigued yourself so much that your body's like, hey, man, we, this is you're going crazy, man. I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't agree with this. We're not doing it this way. And so a good uh, conversation to have with yourself is, is these guys recommended for me to do three sets of three on a deadlift. What should that look like from me? You know, and maybe for you, maybe you do have a hard time keeping your back flat. And so maybe... Maybe for you in particular, maybe your back can be a little bit rounded. Maybe there's a little bit of leeway that you get. That's fine. But is it going to look like all three sets of three are hitched and and you, you got the music cranking and you're going berserk on every single rep? Or should it look like, wow, you got through those three sets of three pretty easy. Maybe you should do the same thing next week and just add a little bit of weight. It's It sounds like you're communicating a lot of um, the skill that goes into lifting, not just mm. the brute muscle contracting uh, force. Like you're going in there to practice a skill. Like if I were to practice shooting a basket, I'm trying to perfect the skill. Now you recently competed in bodybuilding, different kind of training. How different is the the skill aspect in the workout? Like, are you approaching the workouts differently? Does the frequency look different? Is it more perfecting an exercise with strength versus perfecting the feel for bodybuilding, which is what people traditionally believe? Like what was different for, for, for you? through that process. I think I have some different thoughts when it comes to some of these things. Um, number one, I, you know, uh, to build up, uh, to build up strong ligaments and tendons, there's, there's been some research that shows you can do, you know, sets of 20 and sets of 30 and so on and do like really high amount of repetitions. Um, and that can be effective and it can get a lot of blood flow to the area and it gets blood flow like deep into the tissues and stuff like that. But additionally, if you want to have, if you want to talk about someone with strong tendons and strong ligaments, that's going to be somebody that can, uh, that's somebody that can show you their one rep max strength with a huge weight, because that kind of gives you an indication of like, okay, well, everything's all tied together pretty good on this guy. He just benched 700 pounds raw. And, and so I think there's some misconceptions surrounding a lot of these things. There's misconceptions even when it comes to injury. Oh, when you're injured, you should use lighter weight and do higher reps. And then actually think about that for a second. I just told you that my shoulder's fucking killing me. And then now you just told me to do three sets of 20 on the bench. It's like, man, that's a lot of time under tension. Is that a wise move? Now, if I did it with extremely lightweights, maybe maybe we're onto something here. You know, if I did it with really, really lightweights and I used a slow eccentric, and I, and I was trying to uh, rehab the injury, then, then maybe we're talking about something a little bit different. But I'm a big believer of get the hell out of there. Get, get, get out of being underneath the bar when it comes to recovering from an injury, when it comes to strength training. 
Now, when it comes to trying to build some muscle, we do need to have a little bit more time under tension. But this is where heavy weights still can come into favor because it's going to take you longer to lift a heavier weight. There's so many different versions of where you can get your volume from. And you just, you just need a uh, volume. You need an overall, you know, in school, they used to say, show me your work when you did math. Lifting is the same way. At the end of the day, you're going to have to show somebody your work and you're going to have to have a body of work that represents the goal that you have in mind at the end of the day. And it doesn't really matter how you got there, but you're going to need something. And so in order to like build mass for a bodybuilding show, or even be lean for a bodybuilding show, I'd say that the diet becomes probably the most important thing. Oh, huge, I'm sure. And then there's like some touch-up stuff that you can do in terms of the movements, um, in terms of like cable crossovers and like sit-ups and some different things. And I'm a big believer in that. A lot of people don't believe in like spot reduction and stuff like that. But I believe when you start talking about an on-stage bodybuilder and you start oh. talking about the mind-muscle connection, I think we're talking about a different animal. And I think that that stuff does exist. Um, and I think guys like Charles Glass and, and many of the top uh, coaches have have, have kind of proven this this theory where they're they're making people's, uh, you know, Christmas tree, their spinal erectors pop out just that much more the last few uh, weeks before the show because the guy's drying out and they're refining it with the higher repetition stuff. But um, to, to answer the question very plainly, like my workouts did not change that much because uh, I believe the real stimulus towards looking like a bodybuilder comes more from your diet than it does from your training. So what led you to hire uh, Hani? You hired Hani, right? What's, yeah, Hani Rumbun. What? Why Hani? He came on uh, He came on Mark Bell's Power Project and he, and he called me out. So uh, he came on my podcast. Oh, that's how that happened. Yeah, he came on my podcast and uh, he was like, hey man, he's like, you gotten in some great shape. I was like, oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And he's like, you owe it to your fans. You got to take it all the way. You got to do a bodybuilding show. And I was like, uh, okay. I was like, if you, I said, I don't know anything about bodybuilding. You never so. thought about this before? This no. Totally, wow. No, never. I've never even been to a bodybuilding show. The only bodybuilding show I've ever been to is my own. Huh. What a great way for him to promote himself. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Really? I know. I'm going to get this this guy who everybody knows <laughs> to compete. Well, that's 100% on on what he was thinking. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that he did because I'm still in better shape mm -hmm. for it. I'm still in better shape from that show, which was uh, in August. And I kind of had this agreement with myself going in that I wasn't going to weigh uh, more than 10 pounds, uh, more than that, like a month out. I allowed myself to rebound up a little bit after the show. Uh, about 20 pounds or so, but I said, you know, about a month out from the show, I want to make sure I'm within 10 pounds of awesome. striking distance of that weight. And then right now I weigh the exact same as I did on stage. Now I'm curious about what your experience was like, because for a while there, when I first was competing, I was also coaching and I actually coached uh, a lot of bikini competitors and some bodybuilders. I bet you did. Yes, I did. And a lot of, <laughs> a lot of men's physique athletes. It's motivating. And, you know, Hani and I don't know each other personally, but I've actually uh, trained a handful of people that had trained with him and I had to fix some metabolisms. Um, the recommendation that he was giving nutritionally and cardio-wise had set some of these bikini competitors back. And so I've actually never really been a fan of what he's presenting. Now, that's my only perspective is that, right? So I don't know him. We haven't hung out and talked. Um, I know Jeremy really well. Um, but I, did you, when you were going through that process, was were there anything that you didn't agree with that he was doing or that you did differently from what he told you? Or did you literally just do anything that he told you to do? I pretty much just did what he said because it's a space that I didn't know anything about. Mm. 
And uh, the cardio did start ramping up. You know, we started at like 20 minutes and we ended up at 90 minutes. Oh, wow. Um, he, ex like, other people's experience might be different uh, than my experience because, you know, he was a text away from me. So like, you know, I don't, I don't know how people hire him or how it normally works, but maybe they have, uh, because I'm somebody in this industry, uh, maybe he gave me a little bit extra special, right. special treatment. I don't know how he handles other right, people, right. but with myself in particular, he kind of told me about, look, we're going to ask you to have a tremendous amount of output. There's not going to be a lot of input coming in. There's not gonna be a lot of calories coming in. There's gonna be a lot flying out the door. Mm. And when the show's over, you're going to have to be very, very careful and very cautious of what you eat. And you have to really pay attention. And he was even suggesting like, you, you might want to kind of go on like a keto diet. Or you might want to try to reset your metabolism. He's like, you know, enjoy yourself for a few days, but you might need to do mm -hmm. something to really just try to balance out and make sure that your metabolism doesn't get uh, too screwed up. But also at that time, I was fortunate enough to have a guy named, and this should be somebody you guys have on the podcast, uh, the smartest person that I've ever met when it comes to nutritional information is a guy named Joel Green. It's like a food scientist of some sort. I don't even know. I don't even know where, what, what you would categorize him at. Uh, Joel was giving me a lot of advice uh, when this bodybuilding show was over and the advice was uh, very unconventional. Uh, he was saying to have like th these 3000 calorie breakfasts and uh and breakfasts. Yeah. There was more than one breakfast, you know, first yeah. breakfast, second breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was like two or three of them. Um, and he was giving me a lot of weird recommendations. He was big on uh, grilled cheese sandwiches. He's like every two days, he's like, crush. Man, I like this guy. I know. I know. <laughs> he's like, crush a grilled cheese sandwich. And I'm like, okay, well, what if I crush a grilled cheese sandwich? I'm still hungry. Should I go back to kind of eating healthier food? He's like, no, just have another grilled cheese sandwich. Now he had sophisticated logic. I know he had like sophisticated reasons for this. He was like, Oh, it's the calcium. And it's this guy's knowledge goes beyond anything I've ever seen before. So I was just kind of uh, trusting in him. Now there, there was a balance of energy too. It wasn't just like, I wasn't just, sure. you know, going balls to the wall, eating right, everything right. and anything that I wanted. Um, but he basically, he was just saying, we got to kind of unring that bell, which is what you're talking about. We had got to fix your metabolism. Mm. It's like damaged. It like doesn't know what to do with, with calories and it doesn't know what to do because you're not expending any anymore. Do you know what your calories were at uh, leading up to the show? Like how low did you end up getting? I think my calories um, kind of throughout the prep were in the 3000 range. Oh, that's and, not bad. And I, I didn't really get like... Mine didn't really descend that badly, although we did start to cut out carbohydrates. Um, but I wasn't eating that many carbohydrates anyway, because he kind of was like, you don't really eat them anyway. So he's like, I don't really know how much we should be giving you. So that was kind of a, a feeling out process for him was like, I have no idea where you're at. I have no idea what you respond to and what you don't respond to. I think the conventional thought is that because I don't normally eat carbohydrates is that I don't that I maybe don't respond to them well, or maybe I don't um, handle them well, but that's really not, not the case at all. I actually handle them really well, and I've gotten in really good shape before with with carbohydrates, three, four, 500 grams. Yeah, so. a lot of the damage that you'll see will be from people who do repeated uh, shows. And probably because you had, leading up to that, I always focused on strength, probably in a calorie surplus or maintenance most of the time. Your metabolism was like, Pretty, fast, pretty, healthy, pretty healthy. Yeah, you could probably fuck with it and, and it drop right. it, and it's not going to have a huge. Now, I, you know, getting ready for a bodybuilding show can be extremely all-consuming. And I've talked to people who say that when they do that, because of the structure, 
that actually helps them in business because they're so structured and organized. And I talked to other people who said, I can't even focus on work because that's all I focus on. And, you know, you gave us a tour earlier of this place and you've got quite the operation here. Thank you. How was it? I mean, massive. I mean, you have a, a you know, your shipping department's huge. You got a huge gym in here. You got this great podcast and media studio and all that. And, it, you know, great place. A lot of employees, a lot of stuff going on. How were you able to run all these things while getting ready for your show? Or did it make, did it sharpen you or was it a bit, was it something you had to take a step back from, you know, take a step back from? All the people here have been, um, they, they've handpicked is like not even the right word because they kind of have come to us. All the people that are here belong here. All the people that work here really belong here and they really have a great purpose for us. And um, Except for the guy we fired last week. And, yeah, and except for uh, the guy running the <laughs> podcast over here. <laughs> there's a couple like, of people that, that guy. We there's a of couple guy. people because of lawsuits that we can't fire, but we're working on it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, the, uh, the I, have a, I have a great team of people and something that you mentioned when we just had you guys on, on the podcast was kind of like this idea of like, if you have an idea, it might end up looking a little different than you originally thought. I have a similar line of thinking where if I give something to you, I have the thought process of, I hired you, I pay you. My thought process is I handed this over to you. There's a really high potential because I ask you to do this often that you're going to do a way fucking better job than I can ever do. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not handing it off to him being like, Oh man, I wonder what's his interpretation of this post or what's his interpretation of this email. Is he going to fuck it up? Mm. I actually kind of think that if I think that he's going to screw it up, he probably will. Mm. But I have a more positive outlook on it where I, because the men and women that work here have proven to me time and time again that they can step up to the plate and they can knock the ball out of the park. And so it gives me a lot of confidence. I, it doesn't really matter if I, if I don't need to show up you know, or, or if I don't want to show up, I don't have to show up. These guys and girls are going to take care of it. My wife and I went on a vacation this year. Uh, we were gone for maybe about two weeks or so. And these guys handled it just fine. So I didn't have to step back from anything though, because all the stuff that I've done, mm. uh, when I was younger was way harder than any of this mm. shit. So, uh, you know, I started the slingshot. I started a magazine. I started, uh, my gym, uh, all while raising, you know, two kids and being married and juggling all the, just, just, just as, as you guys have done, just as any, anyone, uh, anyone who's trying to juggle career, family, all these people have done it. My dad's done it. I mean, anyone who's trying to juggle these different things at once, I was kind of getting all these things done simultaneously while squatting over a thousand pounds every week while bench pressing over 800 pounds. So there was a lot of, a lot of time was consumed to me spending tons and tons of time in the gym on myself. A lot of time was consumed on me building Super Training Gym, which started in 2006. And a lot of time was consumed by me starting to develop some of these ideas. And a lot of time was consumed by my family. So um, I'm I'm no stranger to, uh, you know, kind of what it takes to advance. You started the Super Training Gym in 2006? Yeah. Was it, Now, was that successful out the gates or were you, because you made the comment earlier that you were poor for a long time. <laughs> when did you start making money? How, how long was that? Was that when Slingshot came out, when things started to turn around? Um, super Training Gym uh, has never been uh, successful in terms of like a business. It's a weird business model. The gym is free. It's free, yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember you saying that. Yeah. Uh, and I, so uh, technically it's really successful though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> People show up and they're stuck. Yeah. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, from a financial perspective, it's um, 
definitely maybe the opposite of that, right, you know, right. but how not to make money. Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of an illusion in some way because everything has kind of come from super training gym. And so, sure. you know, I, Good point. you guys kind of asked on your way in, you're like kind of everything kind of spawned off of the slingshot stuff. And, and I said, yes, but that's actually not really the correct interpretation of it. It's like, no, actually everything spawned off the actual lifting the lifting that's happened in here mm. because I started uh, recording and started documenting stuff in 2005 before or 2004 before YouTube was ever even around. I had an account with put file, which doesn't exist anymore. And then uh, as YouTube started to come around in, in about 2005, 2006 is when I started uh, my YouTube channel and started record. I just knew. I was just going to ask you, how the hell did you know? Because back just, then I YouTube knew. was cat videos and. No, I just, fucking, yeah. I just, I felt it. Really? I felt mm. it. It was like a calling. Like I knew that what we did was weird and I knew that other people wanted to see it. So I'm like, mm. I need to share this in as many different spots as I possibly can. This is not normal. It's not normal for this guy to load up eight plates on his back and squat it. Not normal for this girl to squat six plates. Like this is shit is strange. And I also know that other people would be obsessed by it and other people would be amazed by it and some people just want to learn more about it like what is this what are these men and women doing well now if you if you started the business with without charging people to come into the gym and, and that's the was the catalyst to the success how the fuck did you survive financially during that time when no one's paying you for anything you're starting about was this when you were doing gay porn <laughs> <laughs> this was uh yeah it was, you mentioned that earlier so it was the darker times <laughs> Look that up. Were, were, a, we, were we not supposed to talk the, about that? That's the, that's the title of the first video, Darker Times. <laughs> I'd love to say I'm ashamed by it, but it really, you know, kept the lights. awesome at it. Yeah. 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 I was awesome at it. <laughs> hey, when you're good, you're good, right? <laughs> yeah. Undeniable. Uh, you know, so at the time, my wife uh, had a job and she was making some money. And then I also did some personal training and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so we just, we just did what we could, you yeah. know. And um, in terms of the actual you know, the gym and the financing of the gym, like everything just happened in such a weird way. When I kind of look back at some of these things and think about how it all came to be, um, it's just, it doesn't seem real in some way. It's just strange shit happened, but a lot of circumstances shifted my way that allowed a lot of these opportunities. And one of the big ones was as I had super training inside of somebody else's facility in the very beginning and I was a, um, it was in Woodland, California. It was called Body Construction Zone. And I was a, a trainer there as well. And I was also, um, you know, working with my powerlifting team. And I, at the time I was coaching football as well. So uh, at Pioneer High School, I was a, a coordinate, defensive, defensive line coach and a strength and conditioning coach for the team. And so as this gym was like building up locally in the area, it's a new gym. Uh, you know, I went and approached them and said, hey, it'd be great if you had some powerlifting. I work at the high school and I know I can get a lot of these kids over here. And so I kind of sold them on this idea of powerlifting and how it'd be good for their gym. And they said, hey, you can actually take the spot back here and you can just, you know, you can fill it up with equipment. And then so I talked to the owners and stuff and I was like, well, I don't have any equipment, but I think it'd be great for you guys to invest in it so that your gym is different than all the other gyms around here. At the time, I wrote for EliteFTS.com under the name of Jackass. And I, 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 I uh, went to Elite and said, hey, like these guys are going to purchase this equipment and, um, you know, see if I can get a discount and stuff. So we ended up getting a lot of equipment for a really good price. From that point, um, I was working with these guys for a few months, maybe like a year or so. 
And then I just didn't get a check. And I'm like, uh, so I go to one person, they give me the runaround, go to the next person, they give me the runaround, go to the next person, go to the owner, you know, and each person got their own version of the story on why I'm not getting a check. And I was like, well, I was like, you know, I have, I have a family. I got a like wife and kids and like, we rely on these paychecks. Like I, you know, I can't not get paid. I can't afford to like, you know, do this for free. And so, uh, they were like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I said, I'd love an opportunity to buy the equipment. And so these people, they, they, their business was going under. And uh, I knew because their business was going under, I knew they didn't keep record of anything. So I was like, I'll buy everything in that back room. I'll take it off your hands. I tried to make it seem like a favor. <laughs> like I take everything off your hands for like three grand. And they're like, oh, I think it was way more than that. And I was like, yeah, I think you're right. How about five grand? They were like, okay. It's like 25 grand worth of equipment. <laughs> so Score. Super Training Gym kind of started off of that. And then I just found some shithole uh, place in uh, Natomas, California, where we were next to a, a Hmong funeral home where they'd slaughter animals. Uh, on a week, on a weekly basis. Um, yeah. Cause they do that for in uh, the parking lot. Yeah. And they do it for weddings, funerals, everything. It was, it my, was my best wild. friend is married a Hmong girl and it's, it was wild. I was, and I'm the best man in the, in the Did wedding. Did you have to kill something? Yeah. Yeah. No, we, that's part of the best man's practice. Like, oh, so wow. how crazy is this? My best friend reaches out to me and, and tells me that, Hey, you know, getting married, all this stuff like that. I awesome supportive from, he's like, Hey, I need you to come down on you know Thursday, two days before you the wedding, drink the blood of this goat, and he's like, "We gotta, we gotta slaughter a cow, right?" And I'm just like, "What do you mean we gotta slaughter a cow? <laughs> we got yeah. a friend in your pocket or what? I ain't right. doing nothing like that." He's like, "I'm no. your guy." He's like, "That's part of the the tradition in their culture is for you as the best man to do this with me." So yeah, no, I had to slit the throat. And, did you, know, you slit the throat? Yeah, did you like hold a hook. Yeah, for well, something? he actually did that okay. part of it. I was there with him and okay. moving and throw, but it she was looking to its eyes. Yeah, I, I took a picture of it. I don't know if you guys remember. We were all together when this all happened. And there's a picture of me with the my 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 head down by the by. The it horse. was pretty crazy. I mean, they would they would give us food like because uh, they were there every weekend, and we had a lot of people lifting on the weekend, and um. Yeah, they would be like, hey, you want some food? At first, we were kind of like grossed out by it. But I was thinking like, well, it's pretty much the same way we get our food. We just don't see it that way. Right, right. You know, we don't see it the same way. And so, but it was crazy because they would haul in like these sides of beef, like in the back of like a truck. It was like a whole half of a cow that was like just chopped in half. <laughs> yeah. It was insane looking. And and just to kind of see that, you're like, whoa, like and this, this is, turns into food in a, in a little bit. And they cook it up and it, yeah, it seemed like gross, but I'm like, well, I don't know how, I mean, that's how we all are. Yeah, no, it was so wild. removed from that whole process. You no, know, it was yeah. wild to, to literally slaughter it at the slaughterhouse. And then an hour later, we were unfolding it you know, all this bloody meat and stuff on the table yeah. and then we're cooking it. And then two hours later, we're eating it, you know, those to be a part of that. But I, you know, I think it was, no wonder you guys are so strong over there. You got the, the sacrificial animals, <laughs> yeah, that's right. metal playing blood in the streets. <laughs> and you that's hit right. records left and right. So yeah. how, how long were you it's there? Then? Pounds. Uh, I was probably there for about two years. And, you know, again, to kind of reiterate, like he asked the question of like, how, how did you figure out how to survive? Cause that's a big question for a lot of people. Like, how do I make a leap towards, uh, you hear so many people saying, if all your passion follow your passion and then other people that have a nine to five are like dickhead i can't follow my passion you asshole i don't yeah. have the opportunity mm, right. because i can't leave my nine to five and there's there's kind of this gap between the two people mm -hmm. you know one person's preaching this because they feel so good about what they're doing and the other person's so mad because they can't they can't figure out how to make how to make that jump but i just we just did whatever we could me and my mm -hmm. wife we just did whatever we could and we tried to um you know i had 
I had a, a bunch of different jobs when I first moved. I'm from New York originally. When I first moved to this area, I was a bouncer. Like I did whatever I could. I just did, you know, just make something so I can continue to do the shit that I love. Where, where does that come from? Was that something mm. self-taught? Uh, was it innate in you as a child because of how you grew up? Like where did, where does that, you know, survival mentality come from? Because not a lot of people have that. Always been fascinated by money. <laughs> Straight up. I've always been just fascinated by money. So when I was a kid, I used to, I used to take like a, um, like a wagon and I'd load it up with like a bunch of shit from my garage and like sell it to people mm. and like knock on their door. And like, I was like relentless with it. So people <laughs> like, once I came around a few times, they're like, man, this kid, like he just tried to sell me this mug like two weeks ago. And like, but like, I appreciate the effort. So they'd be like, all right, I'll give you two bucks for it. You know? So Your dad's like, where's my favorite mug? <laughs> <laughs> well, then my dad started actually helping me with it. He's like, maybe you should like, you know, maybe you should get like nicer stuff. Like get some things that people might actually like want. <laughs> yeah. not, the so broken, I, not your mom's broken frame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not your dirty underwear or whatever. Right. <laughs> well, those could be valuable, but you know, I, I was do I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and also just my dad. So my dad, um, my dad has a tax practice and my dad's tax practice was, uh, so my dad, my uh, older brother, Chris, um, was born with like bad hips and bad knees. And so he went to a chiropractor a long time ago and this kind of set forth our, our powerlifting forever. Uh, the guy that he went to said, if you're going to be out of pain, you're going to have to be strong. And so he taught us about powerlifting. We got excited and fired up about powerlifting. And my dad's like, well, this is great. Like all three of my boys, can, like my oldest brother, Mike, was already into lifting. We already had a little bit of stuff at the house. But my dad was like, we might as well go all, all in. So I don't know how my dad figured this out. But like we had a squat rack. We had Olympic plates. Like we had like a full like gym, you know, in our, in our, uh, in our basement. And the other half of that was my dad's uh, tax practice. And so like I would go down there to like work out and I'd move around some weights and stuff. I didn't know what I was doing. And then I would like go in and I'd like talk to my dad. And my dad would be like, you know, he'd show me all these checks and stuff. And he'd oh, be like, wow, that positive association. <laughs> yeah. Weights, like, money. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah. He's like, I, he's like, I made 50 bucks, you know, off of this guy and 120 off of this guy. And, and then a lot of the people he was mentioning too were like our like friends and family and stuff. I'm like, dad, you make money off of like friends and family. Yeah. He goes, yeah, you got it. He's like, I make, make money off everybody, you know? And it just kind of, it left my mind open to a lot of these things because my dad, he worked for IBM. IBM uh, had a headquarters in Poughkeepsie, New York, where I'm from originally. And my dad, you know, worked there for like 19 years. And right around the time he was able to like collect a pension and do all these things, whoosh, boom, like boot his ass out the door oh, wow. because they can now hire two or three oh, people, right. two or three younger people. You know, that was kind of that generation. They don't do stuff quite like that anymore. Some companies probably do, but it's less common now. But um, when I saw that and I saw my dad just just spin it right into like, okay, no big deal. Like, I'll just do my own shit. And he started a tax practice and started doing uh, real estate. And then when I think back and I get questions from guys like you guys, I start to think back of, you know, when I was a kid and I'm outside our house and I'm shooting baskets and stuff. Well, our mailbox said in giant letters that like the city or whatever uh, complained about in giant letters, it said Bell Financial Services. My dad's car said buy a house. My dad would buy magnets and put them on the side of the car. As soon as my, as soon as my dad started a business, he'd make a T-shirt. And then I started even thinking deeper into it. I'm like, where does some of this shit come from? You know, like, it must come from my weird dad with all these things he was doing back then. 
But then I started thinking about it even more, and it, it actually came from my grandfather. My grandfather uh, had a used uh, car shop, and uh, he would fix up cars and boats and stuff like that, and he'd sell them. But I, I remember seeing a lot of his stuff when I was a kid. He, he'd have um, uh, Bell's Auto Mechanic, and it was like, you know, he had, he had, shirt, like he had shirts made up in like the 60s and 70s and stuff, and he had, uh, it, was on, it was on their mailbox, and he'd like try to like paint it on the side of his car and like just craziness. And I'm like, holy fuck, that's where, that's where this idea of like me taking these videos <laughs> and putting them up on YouTube and, and having this real, this recognition of, Hey, like other people are going to want to see some of this stuff. Other people are going to want to see super training gym. I got to make t-shirts, you know, and I got to like I, the first t-shirt I ever made, uh, had the ST logo on the front and it had kind of a Superman type thing around the ST. And then on the arm, it had the address, just the same exact shit my grandfather did, <laughs> yeah. you know, 40 years before. That's funny because you, while you're living it as a kid, you don't even know that. It's, I had no idea. Yeah, it's later no on, idea. right? It was a long, it took a long time for me to have that just realization. Imprinting it. Yeah. No, knowing all that, because you have kids, knowing all that, are you more aware of like the environment and shit you create for your kids yeah. that they're going to grow up with? Yeah. And I, you know, for a long time, my wife and I were kind of worried because we're like, our kids don't think that we work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our kids, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of family members for a long time thought that I worked at Starbucks because that's <laughs> where the slingshot was created and invented was at Starbucks. I, I used to go to Starbucks with my iPad and my iPhone and I would just sit there and I just, because I didn't have like an actual mm -hmm. nine to five, I, like I mentioned earlier, I did some bouncing and stuff like that. And I, power lifted. Those things consumed a lot of time. Uh, but you know, why, why people were off at work or why, why my wife was working or at the gym or why my kid was, uh, in, in daycare or at school or whatever he was doing. Uh, I would go to Starbucks for a little bit, of, uh, you know, and work on kind of personal development type stuff and try to, I don't know, I guess just figure out, like I call it dicking around. I think <laughs> dicking around is important. Like you, people, you know, they don't want to waste time, but I think that wasting time is actually, can be actually valuable because I think that when you waste time, you start to stumble upon a lot of the things that you're, you're kind of called to. And so, uh, my, my nieces and nephews and stuff like, Oh, uncle Mark, he works at Starbucks. They thought I was punched. They thought I was punching in and punching uncle out. Mark, the time waster. <laughs> do you, do you remember your first, uh, business failure? Um, <laughs> Most of the stuff that I've done has been in concert and in collaboration with my wife. And so I, I love kind of diving all in. Like if you guys came to me with like a business idea, especially a few years ago, if you guys came to me like a few years ago, I'd be all hyped up and I'd be like, Hey, let's do, and if it was just me, we it would probably be like off and running with it, you know? But my wife will say, you know, okay, well, let's kind of think about like, what does this look like in like two years? You know, and, and what are these mind pump guys and you like, what's this collaboration? What does it do for you? What does it do for them? And is everybody still going to have the same feel in like two years from now? So my wife is the one who will kind of pump the brakes on stuff. And so we started, you know, Super Training Gym. We started Power Magazine. We started um, the Slingshot. Um, and all those things have been successful. They weren't successful overnight. They took a long time and I've been powered of things since I was 12 years old to kind of get a lot of these things in motion in the first place. Uh, so it took decades really to kind of lay the groundwork that gave me the ability to be able to do any of these things, um, in the first place, but I haven't had, you know, I, I, I tried pro wrestling and I, I, I was successful enough to, 
you know, wrestle all over the country and I was successful enough to wrestle in Japan. Now, how does that work? If you try pro wrestling, there's uh, the only organization I'm aware of is like the WWE right. or at the time when I was a kid. Yeah. There's a, a school WWE. for yeah. that, right? Yeah. Like how does right. that, how, how does that process? What do you mean? How do you try pro wrestling? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you, well, I just, I was training at Gold's gym in, um, the, the mecca of bodybuilding. I was training at Gold's gym in Venice and got approached by a guy named John Holiday, who was a, a wrestling uh, coach and a, and a, and a promoter. And uh, he was just like, Hey kid, you know, you're, you're pretty big, pretty jacked. Like you ever think about doing pro wrestling? And I was like, all the time. You're like, actually, <laughs> my, fucking, my brothers and I do it every yeah, day. <laughs> yeah. You're fucking kidding me. Of course. I love pro wrestling. I was like, I just don't know anything about it. And he was like, well, he's like, I got a camp down in Malibu. He's like, you know, come check it out. And so, I tried out and the guy killed me and made me do like a thousand step ups and made me run and do push ups and that's all the these. tryout. They just take you through a crazy workout. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, but he made made you take they call them bumps. He made me take a lot of bumps and stuff like that too. Just just seeing if you're like tough enough. So to, what's a bump? Like they throw you? Yeah, oh, it's a you. fall. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's in, a in fall. the ring, right? Where they throw you against the ropes and then give you a give that's you a the right? that's that's a Yeah, that's a, that's a officially called a shoulder tackle, but a bump is just oh. you landing on the mat. That's oh, all. Okay. oh, so like, all right, we're gonna throw you around a little bit. I'm gonna take you through an yeah. insane workout, and then if you don't leave, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, and I and I was dead. You know, I was really dead. But he was like, oh, you know, come here tomorrow at eight o'clock, and I foolishly showed up. But I did well enough in wrestling to to make it through some of the amateur ranks and to. Um, I I got to do some stuff with WWE. I got to go to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, where they have the, uh, the the training grounds for all the WWE athletes. And uh, my brothers and I, part of the reason why the John Cena doll is there, my brothers and I got John Cena into wrestling. My oldest brother Mike was his wrestling coach and and kind of mentor. Oh in the shit! Beginning. I didn't oh, wow. know that. <laughs> yeah. When That's, I was, was he a phenom as a kid wrestler too, or was he? He he's he's always been. He's always been John Cena. I okay, mean, from yeah. day, you know, like you just have that. Yeah. You just look, you got, you got some people. Yeah. Like we all know like one person, right? <laughs> like we all know, one, we all know one person that's just way off. Like they're way different than everybody else. And he's that guy, you know, when he, when I first met him, you know, I, so <laughs> there's, there's so many stories to kind of sift through here. But when I, I worked at a, <clears throat> talking about trying to make ends meet, I worked for a company um, called Mass Movement. And what we did is we moved fitness equipment into gyms. And so we, we would extract. I knew this company. Yeah. Yeah. I remember they moved, uh, I owned a gym for a second and I think we actually hired you guys to move some shit. There you go. <laughs> so we'd move equipment out of the gym and we'd put equipment back in. It was brutal. I mean, moving fitness equipment is brutal. They don't make it to be moved, no. <laughs> which is kind of stupid because like there. Yeah. it's got to be moved, right? Like I think they, they're they like, okay, we're going to make this sick like leg press. And then they don't think about how's anybody going to move this 900 pound <laughs> thing or this calf raise or right. whatever. And so uh, I was working at uh, this place called Mass Movement and um, we had a lot of crazy characters in there. The guy that ran the place, the guy, the owner of the place, he was like um, into bodybuilding and into lifting. And so he was always really kind to me and my brother. And we had a couple other people in there that were into fitness. And he'd always kind of say, Hey, you know, you guys don't need to like sweep up and like do some of this shit. He's like, just, just, uh, you know, clock in when you want. And he's like, I'll, I'll punch you guys out. You know, when I leave, which would be like seven or 8 PM. Uh, and we'd only, we'd work like half a day but he just wanted us to come in and do the grunt work. Mm. You know, he's like, you guys just come in, move some heavy shit around. You'll get paid for a full day. So we're like, this is great. <laughs> and so uh, one of the um, 
managers there in the warehouse, uh, she kept telling us about her friend. She's like, oh, my friend. She's like, you guys will gel with him so good. He's super jacked. And how many times have you guys heard somebody tell you about how great an athlete somebody is or how jacked they are? And you meet them and they're like five, three, and they're like 150 (laughs) pounds. Yeah. You're like, what is this guy? You know? (laughs) And so she kept telling us about her friend and, um, I was like, yeah, whatever. And so she eventually uh, showed me a picture. And I was like, who's that guy? And she's like, that's my buddy that I keep telling you about. She's like, that's John Cena. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, that guy is freaking huge. She goes, yeah, in this picture, he's like 18. (laughs) And at the time, I mean, we were pretty young anyway. I was only like 21 or 22. Uh, And she's like, yeah, he's going to come out here and – you know, he wants to, he wants to do bodybuilding and he's going to, he's going to work here at mass movement. And I was like, cool. So then sure enough, a few weeks later, he comes out and I meet him. And, and just like I said, is the second that you, uh, to be totally homosexual, the second that you lay eyes <laughs> on <do>. him, <laughs> the second that you lay eyes on him, you know that this guy's special. Like th- for whatever reason, there's just people in this world that are made out of something different than maybe the rest of us, even though we all want to be that person. This guy is truly that person. He's just charismatic and uh he just people are just drawn to him mm-hmm. people i mean people go, would go up to him and ask him tons of questions about his his workouts and his diet and they did he wasn't john cena then you know he mm-hmm. was just a normal dude who was lifting uh but you know his his wrists are like you know double the size of a normal person he's a wrists. big he's, human he's he's massive yeah. it's ridiculous and so people uh are are drawn to him and then when he started actually working there he and I are like moving boxes around and like folding these towels and stuff. And I was like, I was like, dude, I was like, you got to do pro wrestling. He's like, nah, I want to do bodybuilding. And he was getting ready for a bodybuilding show. I was like, what are you doing for the bodybuilding show? He's like, I'm just not eating. He's like, (laughs) and I'm like, real school strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I train really hard. I train twice a day and I'm just not eating. And I'm like, you don't eat at all. He's like, well, he's like, I have like two protein shakes a day and I forget what the other thing was that he had, maybe like a chicken breast and some vegetables or something. And I was like, and so how long are you doing this for? And I was, I was expecting him to say like, you know, two or three days. He's like for about two months. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. Like no one can, no one can actually do that. Right. But I saw him day in and day out with his two protein shakes and his chicken breast, his two protein shakes and his chicken breast. And I'm like, this guy's a fucking lunatic. Like anyone that can handle that can kind of handle anything. And so I kept talking to him about wrestling. My other brother, Chris, was talking to him about wrestling. And eventually he, he came down to Ultimate Pro Wrestling, uh, UPW, and uh, ended up wrestling for about five months. And then he got picked up by WWE. And it took him a long time to kind of progress through the minor leagues. Like it, it, there's a huge process that goes on. And uh, to John's credit, he didn't get to he didn't get to jump or bypass anything because he had a bodybuilding look. He had to really uh, truly work for it. So when I say that we got him into the wrestling business, he did all the hard work. Right. So when you say that, you're talking about like skill and presentation and all that. Yeah, but he you know he had that. He just had that. Really. I mean, you can even like if you if you look up, there's a, a documentary that was done uh, on our uh, on us being pro wrestlers uh, that was done for the Discovery Channel some 20 years ago. Uh, he cuts a promo on me. That's just, it's just out of this world. He was known as a prototype and he'd come on and he kind of had this robotic thing to him, but he had it down. Like he practiced, you don't talk about like, you know, people are always wondering how to get good at something. Well, he fucking practice it. Right. So here I am, I'm super nervous. And like, I go to cut a promo on him and mine's awful. 
And then he he gets the mic and boom, he just sma- he just smashes me. Wow. He's like, Smelly, I look into your genetic lunchbox and I see a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> with the crust cut off. And he goes into this whole thing and it's like money. Oh, oh right. he just because that was my wrestling name is that I was my name was Smelly because my oldest brother called me Smelly. Yeah. And I was picked on. And like we just kind of in wrestling, that's what they do. They kind of just utilize whatever you got. Sure. And it is kind of were like you a heel or were out. you a good guy? I was a good guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we were, we were, I, we, he and I both, he and I both kind of switched things up, you know, here and there. They just kind of depending on what, what we were doing. Like, you know, when you don't have, we don't have a TV script to follow, you can kind of play, you know, you play whatever. Mm-hmm. So we could, we could switch things up a lot, but uh, he and I did, did many battles. We've wrestled uh, a couple times for like 30 minutes straight, 40 minutes straight. Oh, Wow. Wow. Now, all the the stuff that you learned in pro wrestling has any of that helped you with like this new media world of podcasting and video and all that stuff? One hundred percent, and that's why I brought it up because you asked about like failed things. So uh, you know, my whole life I wanted to be a professional football player. Like that's what I loved when I was a kid, and I was really drawn to that, and I was attached to that. And I, I would train every summer. I'd run, and I would you know do all these different things. And you know, I just thought like, hey, if I just put in the work, like it'll just happen. And it was actually a good thing, you know, in a lot of ways that these things didn't happen. And then kind of same thing with pro wrestling. As I started messing around with pro wrestling and started doing it, and I started realizing I'm not as talented as these other people. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know, you know, specifically like what the differences are. I know I'm trying really hard. And yeah, potentially I could try harder. Um, and How then old I, were you when you started to realize that? Where you're like, oh, uh, crap, this is different. Yeah, 25 or so, oh, okay. 24, 25. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, my dad has a saying that says, you know, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. And that has been something that I've always kind of leaned on in my life. And I kind of looked around when I was at Ohio Valley Wrestling and I was like, okay, I'm not like that guy over there. I'm not like that guy over there. I don't have the attributes of this. Like I'm not seven feet tall. <laughs> you know, I'm not, and, and I was in pretty good shape and stuff, but I, I wasn't in the shape that I'm in now. And I was just like kind of looking around the room and like, okay, I know I don't have that. I know I don't have this. And uh, Shelton Benjamin, who's like a four-time national champion collegiate wrestler. I mean, these these men and women like athletically are just off the charts. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like- this They is, normally almost always have like a, a crazy background, right? Most of them have like yeah. a co- very competitive wrestling background already. Or yeah, something. like Brock Lesnar was there, Randy Orton, Mark oh, Henry. I mean, Mark Henry is the world's strongest man competitor, and Brock Lesnar is a multiple-time national champion. Yeah, Kurt and, Angles, and, guys like that. Yeah, right. yeah, freak. I mean, these are freak athletes. These are not, you know, these think the pro wrestling just because it's uh, scripted. They just think that like maybe maybe they're not talented people, but these are very very talented people that work on their skill every single day. And so Shelton Benjamin pops up on the top rope and. I'm sure you guys have kind of seen the undertaker, like walk, walk the top rope. And then he comes down and he like punches the guy or whatever. Shelton Benjamin did the same thing, but he ran around the entire ring on the ropes Wow! and then proceeded to stop. And then he did what's called a moonsault, which is basically just a backflip and landed on his feet. And like things like that just kind of made me go like, whoa, there's definitely not like there's, there's no room for me in in this. (laughs) And I think that that's healthy, though. I think that that's a good thing. And I think that's, I think that's, you know, as a parent, I think that's the hope for my kids is that I don't want them to feel like they're excluded from anything. I don't want them to feel bad about anything. But at the same time, 
it's great to recognize who you're not because then you can figure out who you are what? very quickly. You mean you don't want to bullshit him and give him a seventh place trophy? <laughs> right. Right. You know, like that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, I read a uh, Bret Hart's book. It was a great, great book. Um, and one of the things that I was really fascinated in was how crazy um, the steroid, the opiate, all that use was. But before we got on air, we, you and I were kind of talking a little bit about Kratom. And I was sharing with you that I, I wish I was familiar with Kratom. Mm. Uh, when I went through my opiate addiction, because I think that would have helped me tremendously. Now, when you were going through all this, did you battle with any of this? Did you start dipping into anabolics this time? Are you uh, t- partaking in opiates and things like what what, what happened with you? I, I never, um, I never got into uh, like painkillers. Mm-hmm. I never got into uh, what I guess I'd consider like recreational drugs. I actually, um, before probably like, before the age of like 25, I think I've only been drunk at that point, like one time in my life. And I was only like kind of drunk, uh, because my friends, uh, gave me some drinks on my, uh, my, uh, bachelor party. And that was about it. So I wasn't like, I wasn't into any of that stuff. Steroids, however, uh, they were always present. They were always kind of there. I always kind of knew that I would end up gravitating towards them at one point or another. I remember, you know, reading like Muscle Media 2000 and reading some of these magazines. And I really wanted to, I wanted to learn more. I was really fascinated by them. I'm like, man, these things, they make you, they make you like bigger. They help you get bigger and stronger, you know? And then on every other page in this magazine are things that are supposed to try to help you get bigger and stronger, but they don't actually really work according to a a lot of the strongman athletes and according to the people that I looked up to, like a, like a Bill Kazmaier and according to, because back then people were a little bit more open too. Um, in fact, uh, this is like before my era, but you can go back and look at some like old muscle and fitness back when it was called like muscle and power. And it would say the person's workout and it would say they did five sets of five squats they did uh, three sets of 10 leg extensions, three sets of 10 leg curls. Uh, they did some ab work. And when they finished up their workout, they had uh, some milk and some steak and a potato. And then it will say Diana ball, mm-hmm. <laughs> 25 milligrams. And then it will kind of go on to the next thing. And I was always like, wait, what's that? You know, what, <laughs> that what is are, so true. What are some I, of these things? I have some old magazines that would say that. And then I it didn't went, know that. <laughs> and then it went the opposite where they pretended like none of that happened with the weeder, you know, muscle and fitness right. and also. Then you had like Muscle Media 2000, you know, Bill Phillips, Dan Duquesne, and then they were bringing it back to the whole right. honesty thing. But there was a lot of pushback back then too. And my uh, my uncle was was big into pro wrestling as well, and so he he and he played football, and uh, I, I didn't know at the time, but he was in, into anabolics and stuff like that too. He's the one who had those magazines, and and that's kind of where I first saw a lot of this stuff because I I wouldn't have had access to those older magazines otherwise, but. Yeah, I was fascinated by it. I was like, man, these things are, these things seem like they're great. Like why, why the hell are they like even illegal? And then I kind of learned more. I'm like, oh, well, you got to inject them. That's really weird. You like injecting this oil in your body and it's, you need a syringe and like, okay, now it's starting to sound like, starting to sound like drugs rather than like this cool supplement that I kind of thought that it was. And then it was probably around the time of, I was about 25 or 26. I was training at Westside Barbell. My wife and I, we lived in Columbus, Ohio. I was commuting and going to Ohio, Ohio Valley wrestling, wrestling to be a pro wrestler. And it was kind of around that time where I was just like, I just need to be bigger. You know, like I, I just, as I was mentioning, I looked around the room and I'm like, there's no spot for me in here, you know? And so, 
uh, that was around the time that I got on stuff, which was really weird because I went from uh, being natural and being at Westside to where everybody already knew I was already established as like the new guy. And I was already established as being the only guy in the gym who didn't take anything. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I wanted to take stuff. So I'm like, who do I even ask? Like, where do I even start? And then who in here is going to think I'm a cop? Cause no one actually, <laughs> no one actually knows me. And that's what, that's what started to kind of fly around the gym. They're like, he's starting to ask for drugs, man. I think he's a fucking cop. So no, one, <laughs> no one would he's sell me. Yeah. No one would sell me anything. So then I started going to like message forums and stuff like that. And I just ended up ordering shit off the internet. That's mm. the first time you, you got some was off yeah. the internet. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, and back wow. then that was very different. Yeah. yeah. What, did you, you, what did you, you start with? Yeah, as I say, do you remember what your first cycle was? Yeah, yeah. I, I had uh, testosterone, DECA, and Dianabol, and I got fucking massive. Yeah. It was awesome. I gained like I gained like 40 pounds. Yeah. I didn't really understand that like uh, I, that I was going to have that kind of response on me. Um, a lot of the pro wrestlers, they were taking stuff too, and I, and I, I was kind of asking them for some advice, but they weren't very knowledgeable. And so I was really getting a lot of the information off these information, off these message boards. And they, you know, they were saying, yeah, I take, you know, somewhere to three, three to 500 milligrams of both. And then take X amount of this. And, um, by the way, this, this might get shut down on YouTube because they've shut down other things that I've, when I, that I've talked about when I've gone oh, this deep down the me. rabbit hole, really, well, you, you can't promote, uh, you can't like promote, but I'm not promoting it and not, not, uh, yeah, we're sharing, no, this is yeah, sharing a story. Yeah. We're counting on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys air these on YouTube? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. oh no, no, this is before. Yeah. yeah. This is, I don't, well, we did a whole, uh, anabolic steroid thing with, uh, Stan Efforting and then had, we did one. With, I had John Romano on the I show. I think it might depend yeah. on how you talk about it. Or of whatever, course. Yeah. We're really careful about not promoting it as much as sharing our personal which is why I like to ask Just because honesty, really yeah. you know I did a lot of things the wrong way uh, like you in my it was my early 20s when I did and you know, I took the advice of just some random bodybuilder guy and probably took way more than I needed to. Right. Yeah. You know, and, you know, did not put as much effort into my post-cycle therapy and what I should be doing with that. And it forever changed me hormonally. Like I, right. I never fully recovered. I, well, that's something I try to share with people very openly. Like, you know, if you're going to make that decision, then, you know, it's, it's almost like uh, going into business. Like, you know, once you kind of start a business, what's your exit strategy going to look like? Or, or like, what does it look like in a few years from now? And same thing with, you know, getting on anabolic steroids, it might be a life decision. You might have to be on them the rest of your life. Otherwise you might not be, I know for myself where I was before I ever took them and how strong I was right. before I ever took them and, and the shape that I was able to get in before I ever took them. And it, it would be hard to get back to that spot without them. For a period of time. And when I say period of time, probably about a year, because like everything, maybe even longer, everything would have to kind of like normalize. Mm -hmm. And who knows like how long that would take. It might take a really long time. And so you end up being worse off than you were than, than before you ever took them. I think it's also too important because you said how much weight and muscle and mass you gained, but you had been powerlifting and training since you were 12. And there's genetics to how people respond to these things as well. I had guys that would work for me, trainers, or sales guys when I would manage gyms who would get on gear and their training wasn't good, their diet wasn't good, and they didn't have the best genetics. And these guys would gain like eight pounds mm -hmm. and they'd be on a shit ton of gear. And then I knew guys that would barely touch anabolics and right. their muscles would just explode. So there's that also, because I think sometimes people listen like, oh, cool, I'm going to take all this gear right. and I'm going to gain 40 pounds like Mark did. <laughs> no, no, most <clears throat> right. people don't. Most people just get bloated. And yeah, my, my friends at, at wrestling, they were like, 
holy shit. I was like, yeah, I actually work out. <laughs> <laughs> now you fell in love the first time you took them. Was that just a, a love affair of, of cycling on and off or were you on them and that was it? I just, you know, I love lifting, you know, so anything that's going to help me with lifting, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be four, just like my lifting belt. Like it helps me lift more. You know, if I take something that helps me lift more, then, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to want to utilize it. And so I, um, when I, we call it going to the dark side. When I went to the dark side, I kind of made a decision. Like I'll probably be dark side for life because I knew, I, I knew some of the things that I wanted to get out of it. I think maybe secretly, I, I think I knew that I was really doing it for my love and passion of just training. And it wasn't really for wrestling, but I used kind of wrestling as the excuse, mm-hmm. much like you use like, uh, you know, football uh, as an excuse for like lifting, but you're probably lifting just to get you in better shape so you can meet girls or something like that. Like right. it's probably, uh, there's probably other reasons other than just that. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, how could you, and then also how do you not get addicted to something? You know, that people talk about addictions. How do you not get addicted to something that makes you better at what you love to do? What What if like, what, you know, what if you took a drug and it made you write better music, right. you know, and that, ha- that does happen, right? Mm-hmm. People take mushrooms and they, um, marijuana and like all kinds of things. And then they're like, holy shit, man, I, I write a lot better when I do that. And so there, there they are. Well, now that, now that you're a father and uh, at some point your kids are going to listen to your podcast and watch your, they don't right. already. If one of your kids comes up to you and says, Hey dad, listen, I'm really into training like you. <laughs> right. This is what I really want to do. I want to get on some gear so I can just, you know, build, you know, bigger muscles and be real strong. Have you thought about what that conversation would be like if, if that happened? I haven't really thought about that in particular, but I have had a lot of people ask me over the years, you know, Hey man, I really been thinking about it, you know, and, I, and then I'll, I'll try to explain to them, you know, what you mentioned is like, this could be like a lifetime thing. And, and do you want to have children? You know, there's that, like, cause who knows, like it might mess you up, you know, to where you can't or something. And then it's like, you know, my brother asked me that question in Bigger, Stronger, Faster. And I was like, well, if I, you know, if I can't have another kid, then I guess I made a mistake. Cause I, at the time I already had one, I think. And, um, you know, if it, if it messed me up forever like that, then I, I guess I have to live with those consequences. But I try to make people aware mm-hmm. that this could be a potential uh, real consequence. And what they do, what steroids do, like, I'm never going to undersell it. I don't know what the fuck they do. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, some people say... You know, oh, there's no real proof that uh, tumors grow bigger, you know, because you're on steroids or growth hormone or, or, or some of these things. But it's like, I, I, don't, I don't really know. So I'm not going to really say that. It's a drug and it's very dangerous. And it's important that people, uh, that people be cautious with it. Well, they've been around long enough. I think we know a lot of what they do and they don't do, which brings me to another topic. I've, I've been getting a lot of questions now for the last maybe couple of years on uh, SARMs. People wanting to take mm. these, uh, you know, SARMs that they're buying online. And um, my argument to them is always like, look, if you're going to go that route, why not go the antibody? I don't promote that you go break the law and take steroids. But if you're going to already go that route and take something that's attaching to your androgen receptor, why not take the thing that at least has been around for 50 years and we know. Like, do you have an opinion on SARMs? Or is that becoming a big thing in the in the sports world? Or people like it's a waste of time? Um, I think it's pretty clear that they work. And I think it's pretty clear that people are, are utilizing them. Um, uh, what's not clear is maybe how they work and maybe all the different things that they do. You know, at least at least with steroids, 
they've been used for a long time. Like you said, they got, they got a little bit of a track record, you know, so to speak. Um, and they've, they've been used for a while, not just, uh, amongst bodybuilders, not just amongst athletes, but clinically as well, just to boost someone's testosterone. And you naturally have, you know, testosterone in your body. Some of these things that the SARMs are doing, I, I'm not fully aware of, of the mechanics of, of how these things work. Um, but I would say that they're probably not things that are naturally like, you know, floating around in your system. Yeah, you don't make SARMs. Which doesn't body. necessarily mean it's bad because you don't make broccoli either, you know? So it's like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't really say uh, whether I think they're like good or bad, but I, I do think, I do think that people are seeing, like from my understanding and what I've heard from a lot of people is they're gaining weight, they're gaining strength, they're seeing, uh, and I, I would imagine a lot of our athletes are on them. A lot of CrossFitters are probably using them. There's there's one in particular that's supposed to be exercise in a bottle, literally. It's supposed <laughs> to it's supposed to lower your LDL cholesterol. It's supposed to it's supposed to make your trick your body into thinking that you just did a half an hour of cardiovascular training, Boy, which I don't know. I don't know how it works. And I'm not saying that it does work. Th these are just things that I've heard, but that is fucking crazy. And that's what Louis Simmons predicted in bigger, stronger, faster. My brother's mm -hmm. film. He said, what happens when they make something that's better than steroids? He's like, then what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, I, I think myostatin <laughs> inhibitors might, yeah, but I don't know about the SARM thing. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's an, it's an interesting topic because I think people are always going to try and push the limit and to see and experiment and see what they can do. And unlike steroids, I think, I mean, there's people that, uh, well, there's, I guess steroids are, are weird because the way that people have to sell them is so strange, but SARMs, I guess is a little bit similar, but now we have the internet and people are figuring out ways of purchasing SARMs on the internet via like, uh, they're they're buying gift cards and purchasing whatever weird way they can. Oh, interesting. Uh, the weird thing about SARMs and the thing that I would really be cautious of is that uh, there's a lot of monetary gain uh, for these companies that are making them. So that would be, you know, these are going to be the people that are going to share the information with you. And so I don't know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they, like I don't know how truthful they'll be. Right. And I don't it's, it's know pretty, what. It's pretty biased when they want you to buy it, right? Yeah. It's kind of like. Yeah, they're uh, selling you stuff for 90 bucks or something. But it's, I mean, the supplement industry is the exact same way. So I, you know, it's hard to say, but. Oh, so is the, so is the uh, CrossFit industry, right? right? They have their own medical journal that they provide all their yeah. information and it supports. <laughs> Safer <they're>, than gardening. <laughs> yeah. They actually a, told us that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a true story. Yep. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about, we, a little off air, we talked about. Um, your podcast journey. And one, I'd like to hear uh, what made you even think about getting into the podcast space. I know that you've had more than one name for the podcast. So maybe share uh, why you got into it and then what that journey has been like for you. Yeah. So initially it was called Mark Bell's Powercast. And uh, it was something that was started uh, probably like about five years ago or so, um, maybe six years ago. I, I don't remember now. It's, it's been a long time. We've done a lot of episodes and I don't even have a record of, of how many of those we've done. <clears throat> but at some point I had to, uh, I had to shift gears, you know, sometimes when you're in business and sometimes, uh, when you do things with other people, sometimes there's, you grow apart, you know? And so, um, in this particular case, me and the guy that kind of came up with the idea of, of, of having a podcast, uh, his name's Jim McDonald, and he actually has gone off and, and done his own podcast as well. Um, we just weren't seeing eye to eye. And, and even off the bat, like he and I are just different. Like I see that you guys are all very different, but you guys are all very much the same too. You have, you have a lot of similar goals. 
and he and I had kind of similar goal or uh, similar um, uh, things that we liked, like powerlifting and like podcasting. But we had too many differences when it kind of came down to like the overall picture of what we were trying to do. And, um, you know, he, he kind of liked the advertising model and he liked a lot of, and he would research stuff and he'd come to me and say, Hey, you know, this is how much you can make off of doing like a, B and C. And I was kind of a little frustrated with it. And I was like, well, you're just really making money off of me. Cause that's why I'm not trying to be a hot shot or anything, but that's why people are tuning in. And I, I don't like the way this sounds. And, and so then eventually I kind of gave into it, which was a, a bad idea on my part to kind of. Uh, give in on some of that stuff. And I actually told him and our other co-host at the time, I said, look, you guys want advertising, go for it. You know, just go get it yourself. You know, go, go, go grab the advertisers yourself. And I said, I'll even give you my contacts. I got contacts with every major company that you can possibly think of that would sponsor this podcast. Turned it all over to them. They did absolutely zero with it. Oh, wow. So zero internal drive from either one of them. And to me, like, that's like the most disgusting thing in the world. I can't, I cannot handle that. I can't handle even being around that. Like it's, it's like a, it's like a virus to me. And I don't, I don't like that. I don't agree with that way of, of thinking and stuff like that too. And then the other, the other part of it was the other guy on the show was, was an actual employee of mine too. So that was, that was causing uh, some friction there as well. And so it was getting to be like a stressful situation rather than just fun. Right. Like you guys are saying, like we all get together and we all just sit down and I'm sure occasionally things get heated, but for the most part, it's the job itself. If it wasn't fun, you guys would sit down and have a major conversation right. about, Hey dude, yeah. this ain't fucking fun anymore. So that's where we ended up going is, is it ended up just not being fun anymore. And, um, as things kind of shifted and as things started to change, we ended up uh, hiring um, uh, or not hiring. We ended up utilizing uh, Smokey, who you guys met on the way in, and he was handling our advertising. And we were starting to do really well. We were starting to do six figures with, with our advertising and we were barely just getting started. And, you know, it got to a point where we started taking on some ads that I was just like, ah, these are not even like really in the fitness space anymore. And they're not really... Like there was one for like a watch and one for this and that. I'm like, I don't, at the time I, I wear a Fitbit now, but like at the time I didn't wear a watch and I'm like, I don't even wear, a, you know, now I'm doing these reads. I'm like, this is like, I don't care. I don't give a fuck about money. I, I have always been fascinated by money. Um, and I, I've always liked making money, but I don't actually like physically care about it that much. It is important to, uh, to have financial freedom is a wonderful place to be. And I, I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, but um, it, it wasn't where my focus was. My focus and my reason for doing the podcast was not a financial one. My purpose and reason for starting my podcast, my uh, YouTube channel a long time ago was not for financial reasons. Like at that time, you, the YouTube didn't even give you money for it. Yeah, you didn't even know you could make money off of it. Yeah, I didn't, yeah right. I didn't know it didn't know any of that. Like that's not the real reason why I started anything. And the same thing with the, the slingshot was, was obviously like a thing that I could monetize. It was very clear that once I had an invention, now I could sell something, but that's not the main reason why that was invented either. So as I kind of thought about it more, I'm like, man, you know, this is just not, this is just not working out. And he and I had a conversation and his thoughts were so opposite of mine. Mm. I kind of went home and I, I talked to my wife about it. I was really upset. You know, I was fucking crying because this is somebody that has been with me for a long time. So this is a shitty decision. Like, I don't want to have to. Yeah, that was probably a hard conversation. Yeah, I don't want to have to talk to this guy and tell him like that we're, that we're done. But at the same time, I'm like, it just doesn't feel right anymore. And 
as I started saying it out loud, as you were mentioning on, on the podcast earlier, as I started saying it out loud, I started realizing how much more sense it actually makes rather than like, sometimes you say something out loud and it sounds really dumb and you're yeah. like, whoops, that sounds really retarded. Um, but in this case, it, it, it just made more and more sense. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even realize how unfair this is to him too. To keep this going is unfair to him because he's making money and he's kind of under, he's like almost delusional because he's, he's getting a salary from this, which is cool. He's making some dough, but he's almost blinded by the fact that like, yeah, you are getting money, but this is costing you a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. He even shared with me that he, you know, he needed to get help for it and go to the therapist and stuff. And I'm like, so when I went to him and I explained it to him, he, he was pretty heated, you know, he's pretty mad. And I said, you know, I just, I don't, I don't, I just don't think this is fair even for you. And when I said that, I think it kind of sunk in with him. And I think he was kind of like, you didn't do the, uh, it's me. It's not you. It's, it's not me. You, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, I, I do appreciate everything that he did for super training gym because he, he did a lot of the videos in the beginning. He did a lot of the, um, like a, a lot of the stuff that people really liked from supertraining.tv that we did, um, you know, years and years and years ago. Um, we're one of the first people in, in the fitness industry to even do like voiceovers. You know, it's like this weird stuff to say that you did a million years ago. Uh, it, it sounds really weird to say it now because it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn. But these are things that we that we did. And no one to this day is even close to having put out as many vi- informative videos uh, than what I have done. I've continued to do it uh, now that he's not here anymore, but I really do appreciate him kind of getting all, a lot of that started. What did you, what did you learn from that relationship? I'm assuming that it probably was a little bit of bad blood, went different directions, yeah. maybe don't talk very much. What did you learn from that? Just, uh, you know, it's just so cliche to say it, but communication is, is really crucial. And I, I guess probably the main thing that I learned from that, and this is a really weird thing, and and this is this is new to me. Uh, I, I've never really experienced this before, but I'm in a position now to where if I don't communicate with somebody, um, and maybe this is maybe this is not even correct. Maybe this is just my feeling. My feeling is that if I'm not in communication with somebody, they're going to start to build animosity towards me. Um, and a lot of that is surrounded by probably social media and probably like maybe the things I post. Like, so think about it, you know, if, if we're working together and you're busting your ass every day and we're hanging out all the time and we're communicating a lot and then boom, I got like 75 other things to do and, and we don't talk for a bit. I come back around and I keep kind of doing that over and over again. You're seeing a different post. You're seeing my beach house. You're seeing my new car. You're seeing this, you're seeing that. And you're still, you're still working really hard, but maybe you don't feel that things are fair on your end. You're not communicating that back to me. You and I are not sitting down and talking about like what really makes sense for you, what really makes sense for me. And we just kind of keep going. It keeps going in a circle and your animosity is starting to kind of, you're about to blow your top. You're about to blow up. And that's, that's when I kind of was recognizing like, Man, even when I have had conversations, because not like we never talked about it at all, even when I've had conversations with him, he's been uh, very, very stressed about it. You know, he'd do kind of big ass sigh and stuff like that. And I was mm. like, man, like, and I, I don't, it's rare for me to get like really worked up about anything. And so for me, I was even starting to feel stressed out about it. I'm like, man, if I'm getting stressed out, I know that he, uh, you know, handles situations differently than I do. So I'm like, he must be really freaking stressed out about it. So we, we've got to probably discontinue this. Did well, you find, did you 
find that you were building resentment because you weren't able to fully express how you felt the whole time? Because I've had friendships where I've had to end them. And the reason why I've ended a lot of these friendships was, and I look back, it's like, I never told them how I felt through this whole time. It just built up and built up until I finally said, I don't want to hang out with you or whatever. I think that might've been more on his end, mm. but I, you know, and I, I don't, I, I'm not, sh I'm not sure why, but like, it just, it's just one of those deals where on that person's end, they feel slighted. And on my end, I, I feel the opposite way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like, Hey, I'm presenting you a lot of opportunity. And he feels like I'm not getting enough out of this. So it's like, Whoa, like mm -hmm. how the hell, how the hell did that happen? There, yeah. that, did That's, you know you were going to do another podcast when you had told him you were done or were you done? Like, I'm not doing podcasts anymore. Oh, uh, there was like a pause for a little bit. Yeah. There was a little bit of a pause. And then, uh, and then we just kind of like, uh, picked up the pieces and it took a minute, you know, it took a minute to kind of figure out because I went from, you know, having two co-hosts to, uh, you know, to ha having one, to having none, and then to kind of restart. And then I was like, well, you know, now who, I guess all along, I kind of knew that I could just be on the show myself because there's just so much shit to talk about as, as we've talked about on the last <laughs> podcast. I mean, we could sit here and talk about training forever. So, I, I always like to have ownership of stuff. Um, I'm not a necessarily a control freak, but I also don't think that I'm going to really, um, I can work well with, with other people, but I can't work well for you. And I know that about myself mm. because I don't, I don't care about what you want me to do. I, I care about what I want to do. And that's just kind of, I've, I've always been that way. And I mentioned that, uh, on the podcast we just did, like in terms of like education, like I've always been the shit that I don't care about, I don't care about it. And it's kind of taken me a long time to, um, it's taken me a long time to kind of come to this um, realization that like, uh, I hardly have any emotion towards a lot of things that I need to, there's certain things I need to care about a little bit more. Mm. You know, like if my wife is feeling a certain way, like I, I, I need to pause and I can't be like, well, I don't even fuck about that. Because I honestly, for many, many years of my life, didn't really care that much about a lot of stuff. I, I'm the kind of person that my car could be on fire. <laughs> well, it, it kind of was on fire. I, my dad and my son uh, borrowed my car and they went out to Reno. They went to a, they were going to a Donald Trump rally. I know that'd be really popular. Uh, they were going to a Donald Trump rally and I told them they could take my car because my car was newer. It was an Escalade. It was like a 2016 or 17 or something like that. And on their trip, it, it freaking blew up. It just, the engine just stopped working and they're stuck on the side of the road. My wife is like freaking out. She's like, it's, you know, uh, at that time, I think it was like nine o'clock at night and nine o'clock turned into 11 o'clock and so on. They're in the middle of nowhere in Nevada. And, um, you know, fortunately for me, I, I, my wife and I use a car service and we got a friend that was able to, you know, get somebody out there in the middle of nowhere and pick them up and bring them to a hotel and, and all this stuff. But like the whole time, you know, my wife, while she's kind of upset and panicking and she, she, she's really worried because my son and my dad are stuck on the side of the freeway. Uh, I'm just like, well, I'll just, I'll call my friend and he'll probably get a car out there and they'll probably pick them up. And she's like, well, what about the Escalade? I'm like, who cares? Mm. I'm like, just leave it there. She's like, we can't just leave it there. I was like, well, technically we could. <laughs> we have to. Yeah. And I was like, technically we could and, or we can just get it towed somewhere and then maybe they'll fix it or maybe we'll sell it or whatever. And so. How did the fans react when you canceled the old podcast and then started the new one? Did you get a lot of 
change or were people like ah it's fucking yeah you different. know there's uh, you know there's a lot of like weird interpretations of me um you know like, people well, like which ones well people people have people that have been around me understand that i i love to train i love to lift weights you know and and i that's my passion is that and i my passion is also helping helping people uh to you know if I can get, you know, people to feel one fifth of what I'm feeling, then I think I'm doing pretty good. Um, because I, I just get so excited by training. It's done so much for me over the years. And so that's, that's one of the goals and that's one of the uh, missions, but the fans, um, I mean, they were confused, you know, and I think that when they see the transitions that the gym has gone through and they see the changes that have happened, you know, people might say, well, oh man, you've really changed. And it's like, well, I hope so. <laughs> uh, that's my goal. Like I, I want to change. I want to be better than I was yesterday. And I want to leave the person that I was like in the dust. Cause I want to continue to progress and I want to continue to grow. And there'll still be certain values that I hold dear to my heart and that I, I hold on to. but uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff that I leave in the past. And there'll be probably a lot of people I'll leave in the past. And I don't have any, I don't really have control over that. And I've kind of had this philosophy of either you're in or you're in the way. You know, if somebody's, if somebody's with me, then they're with me, then that's cool. But if you're not with me, then you're against me. You know what I mean? So that, that's kind of the philosophy that we've had here. And it, it used to be on the, on the gym walls. Probably I need to get it up on this gym wall, but it used to be on our, our gym wall. And that's kind of our, our main motto. Like you're either with what we're doing or you're not. Do you remember um, coming on our show years ago? A long time ago. Yes. I, I vaguely remember it because I think that we just did it via Skype, right? Yeah, no, we did. I've, I've given you shit without you being on the podcast for a long time. We've probably done, I don't know, 300 or so interviews. And people always ask me my least favorite. And I said, it's Mark Bell's interview. And they go, why? He's such a great guy because everybody likes you. I mean, when yeah. you when you, when you you meet when you get a chance to hang out and meet you in person, as I feel we have too. Everybody said really good things. Uh, everyone's always said great things. I'm like, oh, fuck that guy. I don't like that guy. <laughs> And, and they're always going like, why? And I said, well, the motherfucker took his, took our, our podcast inside of his car. You don't I said, remember that? You're on your I cell said, phone. I said, I could hear his dinging of his fucking door while we were, at, at, you know, asking, asking questions from him. So fuck him. No, I don't that's like awesome. him. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> for the longest time, I, I talked shit about you until, no, that's as much as I would say. I just, you know, I speak what. Hey, that's proof. That's some proof right there because I, I, I feel like I invented those videos from the, from the car. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and watch some of the old uh, YouTube videos now, I'm doing right from my car. Now, to be fair, right. that was, car's a good studio. Yeah. That was early on when we were just getting started. And so you, you, oh, you probably, we had nothing but piss and vinegar. Yeah. You, know? you were, you were like doing this, you know, you're like, oh, I'll get on this, you know, these guys' right. podcast, yeah. you know, whatever. So, so it was, but I remember, it's funny, though. I remember yeah. we were interviewing you and I could hear you like turn on the car and like. Open the door. You hear the That's ding, awesome. ding, yeah, ding, yeah. ding. Hold yeah. on a second, guys. And you're doing something else. I'm like, this motherfucker. <laughs> the, uh, the, well, the biggest part of that was just, you know, try finding somewhere quiet in your house when you got two kids, you know? <laughs> right, and so right. that was the biggest obstacle a couple of years back. I mean, my kids are now, you know, uh, my son is going to be 15 at the end of this month. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and my, yeah. And my daughter is uh, 11. So, yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they're growing up, but when they were young, I just remember like everything was just chaos all the time. So anytime I took a phone call, I'm like, mm. I need to get the fuck out of here. Mm. I didn't have anywhere else to go. The gym was going to oh, be yeah. cranking loud too. You know. Now these guys talk a lot on our show because <clears throat> they both have kids and, and share. I take care of my kids. What, what a reflection <laughs> uh, it is having children on, on yourself and, and your insecurities and your weaknesses. Um, what, what have your kids taught you about yourself? 
you know, first I, w- I want to kind of address what you, you mentioned earlier, because I, I did say that, um, you know, I've been asked a question about steroids a lot and you were, you were specifically asking more so, uh, oh, about you know, your kids, about my right. kids, yeah, if they ever say? asked me about. It. So my kids, they, they don't, I don't know what they know, but, um, <laughs> they more than you think usually. Yeah. Yeah. Way more than you think. So my son is actually like, he was looking for like his cowboy hat and, uh, he stumbled upon some stuff that's in my, that's in my closet. You know, I got needles and shit like that. I got testosterone in there. Um, I do get stuff prescribed by a doctor, but like when that question does pop up from my kids, um, and my, I didn't have a chance to communicate with Jake about steroids at that moment, but it's probably, you know, we probably do need to get in conversation about it soon. I didn't want to like start the conversation too young. Um, just cause I just thought that maybe it's, maybe it's not a good place to start, but I'm sure that he probably already has some questions about it. So now-ish would be a good time to kind of get on that. Um, and I, I wouldn't bullshit them though. I wouldn't say like, oh, you know, I get it prescribed by, like, I would say that I would say that, Hey, look, uh, there, what I'm doing is, is legal. Like I have like documents that I get this from a doctor. I'm not like, you know, buying this in, in, uh, on some alleyway, but what I will tell them is I'll say, you know, these, these are the, the, this is something I utilized in my career. I thought I needed it to, to, uh, lift the weights that I lifted. So I'll just kind of leave it at that. You know, when, it come, mm-hmm. when it comes down to that. But what about back to my question yep. about looking at your kids and seeing, you know, their insecurities and things like that. And it being like a big reflection for yourself. Have you, do you see things in them that makes you go like, Oh fuck, that was, that was me. Or I, I got that. <laughs> I think that, um, I think that I've, I've experienced a lot because I've, um, I moved around a lot. I've been around a lot of people the experiences that I've had in professional wrestling and rubbing elbows with really high end or high level, I should say, uh, lifters and business people. And, you know, after kind of like seeing all these things over the years and uh, uh, taking in a lot, and I've always actually been, surprisingly enough, I've, I've actually been very quiet for a long time. And so I, I was very shy and very reserved. And um, when I, when I look at my kids and I kind of see how they respond to things, it was, it was when they were really, really young and they started kind of playing sports and uh, just getting around other kids that I started to recognize, like, it just made me kind of think about, okay, when I was a kid, you know, some, somebody might look at their son and be like, man, I don't understand. Like this kid, he gets up to bat and he's like barely in the batter's box. Mm. And he barely has his bat up and like, he looks like he's terrified. Well, fuck man, maybe he is Mm -hmm. the kid who's pitching, like can, can't even get the ball over the plate. You know, he's like one pitch will be 50 miles an hour and and the next pitch will be 10 and the next pitch will be thrown over the backstop. And Mm -hmm. it's like, man, maybe your kid is scared, but I think it's hard as an adult to remember back to how you actually felt. And it's mm-hmm. easy for us to think about, mm-hmm. hey, man, you got to get in the gym and you got to bust your ass. And you got to make things harder on yourself so that everything else in life is easier. And, you know, it's easy to kind of say some of these things now. But as a kid, you were probably like terrified of these things. Yeah. You're probably scared of these things. You probably were a lot more reserved. My son, for the longest time, would do his homework and he wouldn't hand it in. Mm. And my wife is like, I don't understand why he won't hand his homework. I'm like, he's just too shy. Is it like she's, fear of failure? You think it's like he's too shy, like, and she's like he's too shy to hand in his homework. I'm like, probably that, probably that, probably also like he probably didn't do all of it. 
You know what I mean? Like he probably did like a certain percentage of it, but then he like didn't realize he didn't do the answers on the back or something, you know, probably something along those lines. But, um, I was like that too. There was no possible. And then my wife would be like, you got to talk to your teacher. You got to tell your teacher that you've done some of this work and then you got to hand it in. I'm like, he's not, there's no way he's just not going to do that. She's like, I don't understand. Why wouldn't he do that? That's what you do. I'm like, there, he's just, I agree with you that we should suggest that to him and we should encourage that. Hey, you're going to have to talk to adults. Like that's, that's going to be par for the course here when, you know, going to school. But I was like, he's never going to do it. And she's like, why do you say? I was like, well, I would never would. I was like, never in a million years would I talk to an adult, especially my teacher. Like I was terrified to talk to, you know, to even barely talk to my grandparents. Like when you're a kid, I think a lot of times you're, I don't know, you just, uh, it's awkward. You know, it's awkward. You can't find the right words and you're not sure what to say or what to talk about. And so right. now is he naturally into sports? Uh, and, and is he a natural in sports, I should say, or have you found that like, that's even something he's interested in? Um, neither one of my kids care about sports. Mm. And, uh, my son recently was asking about football and I went to a football meeting and stuff. And so he's been thinking about playing football, but he's, he's been training here in the gym. Um, neither one of them, yeah, neither one of them really ever cared about sports. And it's actually really, how do you feel about that? Being like so yeah. competitive oh. and being into sports, like, at, yeah, just, just because I know for me specifically too, my oldest, he's somewhat into it, but it's not the same. It's not the same experience. I'm already watching through him going through that process. And like, how do you feel like, yeah. like watching that? Times are just different, man. You know, I think when we grew up, I think that's what kids did. They played sports. Um, and there's been many generations of children that haven't played sports, you know? So I, I think that, I think that you're going to be totally fine. And I think like, what did the sports do for you? Hmm. They might've done absolutely nothing. They may have been more damaging than they were good. Like is playing, like, look, football, people are getting their heads bashed in playing football. People are getting concussions and stuff. I'm not saying I'm against football. I love it. I, I always have, and I always will. I love watching football, but at the same time, I'm not going to sweat it if my kid's you know, if they don't care about sports, you know, I, I would, I, w I have been teaching both of them since they were really little about uh, nutrition and about having some sort of movement and fitness be part of your life, riding a bike, swimming, doing something. They both ride their bikes to school. They're both pretty active. They're both like doing stuff. We, we encourage them to, you know, put stuff down and get outside and do stuff, you know, do something with your friends and get, you know, get out and get moving. Um, and there, there are a lot of great values that there are a lot of great things that you can learn from a sport. As I was mentioning earlier, you know, like part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. And when you're sometimes involved in some of these sports, you're kind of like, oh, shit, that guy was a lot yeah. faster than me. And that girl was, you know, you know, it, it's 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 kind of a good thing to realize kind of where you stand in society, like your spot. Like, are you this much better than everybody else at these things? But one thing I think that's happening that I see with children is maybe like they're a little bit more scared to try stuff than, than what I remember as a kid. And, uh, I don't know what, I don't know what that is. I don't know. I don't know why, like even my nieces and nephews, when they try something and they're not good at it, they just like, phew, they're just gone. I think it's because mm -hmm. they get trophies all the time for everything. And, and, and the other thing I think is they're not bored. I mean, when I was a kid, I was right. bored. 
And so I just did shit. You just and, kept playing basketball. You kept shooting hoops or whatever. Yeah, because right? now kids are like, this sucks. Going to go get yeah. super or, entertained by my video games and electronics. You know, they're just not bored. They just don't, yeah. they don't sit there and do nothing. I'd agree with that. I think the boredom is probably the biggest factor. And I, I, I kind of hear kids say stuff like that. They'll just say like, oh, I'm not that, that good at that. It's like, well, shit, of course you're not. You never tried it before. Like, you barely tried it. You tried it for mm -hmm. 10 seconds. Right. I played uh, ping pong with my, uh, and these things, they take a lot of time. You know, as a parent, like trying to teach a kid how to hit a ball or something, man, it could be agonizing and, and trying to figure out can be frustrating. <laughs> how to play baseball with your kid is almost impossible because the ball is going to come back and hit you right in the balls every single time. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of these things take, take time. I remember playing a uh, ping pong with my nephew. We call him Hambone. His name is Hamish. And he and I are going back and forth and he's awful. He's like three, you know, he can he barely see over the thing, you know, he's just... But he, I, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Because I was the youngest. I was the baby of the family. I'm just going to play with him for as long as he wants to do this for. However long it takes. Let's, let's see Let's see what he's got, you know? Yeah. And so we're playing forever. And he keeps hitting the ball in these weird spots. I got to like get under. He, he's being lazy. Like he won't help me get the ball when he can easily duck down and get it. Mm -hmm. I, I got no mobility whatsoever. So it's taken me forever to get the ball each time. And we keep going back and forth, going back and forth. We played for like an hour. And he's like, can we be done? I'm like, sure. I was waiting for whenever you wanted to be done with it. <laughs> but then the next day we went back out, we played again played for like a half an hour. And then, you know, now he's like five now, but like now we play and we can actually play ping pong. We're actually going back and forth. And with my son and with my daughter, they just, they never really expressed that much interest in any one thing that they wanted to really sit there and like learn it. My son has a piano in his room and he's been messing around with that. Yeah, he has a guitar. He messes around with that. He like teaches teaches himself how to do shit through like YouTube. But I'm like, let's just see what he's interested in. Like, let's just see what kind of naturally comes to him and what he naturally wants to do. We had him try a couple things. So I do think it's important. You definitely need mm -hmm. to support your children, but you need to force them to do shit. Like, just like you need to maybe force them to eat a particular way. Like, yeah, of course they want ice cream, but you can't serve that up nonstop. And you're gonna have to figure out some different ways of protecting them. But probably the greatest way that you can show love to a child is is through discipline. And that's the hardest thing, I, I think, is the hardest thing. It's it's easier just to kind of like, oh, just let them watch cartoons or just, you know, let them uh, eat whatever, rather than like going over to them and being like, hey, you're done with the TV, shutting it off. Uh, let me have your phone, take away the junk yeah. food or whatever, whatever they, you know, whatever they gotten themselves into. Like, man, that sucks. That takes a lot of energy. It does. Yeah. If you ever talk to adults who were kids that had no structure and no discipline, they'll tell you that they felt like their parents didn't care about them and that it was very <laughs> difficult. So right. as, as much as you think, you know, as people think, oh, it's better if you let the kids do. No, no, kids thrive off of structure and knowing that you care enough to tell them to get off the TV, to not eat this, to do that. They know that you yeah, they want to know where they stand. That's what they want to know where those boundaries are and those thresholds are. And and you need to be able to, you know, mm -hmm. provide that for them because then now they know like and, and they'll, they'll back off. And it's just it's funny because we feel bad about it. But at the same time, you're providing structure in their life that they can carry on with. And it like provide it, it lowers the anxiety. Yeah, The thing I'm real careful about is not like I'll introduce my kids to stuff, but not pushing them so hard that they they automatically hate it because I'm the one that's pushing them. Yeah. So I've been like little by little, I mean, my kids know what I do and they know that I've been in fitness for, for, you know, since they were born or whatever, since before. So they, they see, I have a garage gym. They see me working out. I talk about it and I, I wait for them to ask me. And so my son now is 13 and he's been asking me like, Hey, uh, 
So how do I how do I put on muscle? And I'm just like, I'm trying not to get fucking excited. I'm like, oh well, you know, so it's a process a of bit. yeah, downplaying day. <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty cool. You know, you lift weights and you know, okay. He's like, okay, cool. And then you know, a couple of weeks later, he's like, hey, you know, what's a, what what is it? What does it mean when you say bulking? <laughs> and I'm like, oh. So I'm explaining to him. He's like, I think I want to do a bulking program this summer. And I'm just like, fucking tear <laughs> comes down. So I'm like, we're gonna do that together, son. We'll do the bulking. Can you put me on a diet too? And I'm like, God, oh, thank you. For this wonderful yeah. gift, you know. Has your kid expressed any interest in weights at all? Yeah, my son, he's been lifting here for the last couple of weeks. Oh, right. And nice. it's been really cool to see, like, how fast the improvements happen, you know. he's Oh, like, at that age, fuck, 15. They're yeah. like he's moving on, around. on natural anabolic. Yeah, he's, like, moving around, like, 95 pounds, like, the first day, like, on the bench for a couple reps. And then the next time he came in, he's doing it for, like, 15 reps. And it's just like, holy Damn. Shit. Immediate yeah. improvement. Yeah. That took me till my 20s to get over that, yeah. dude. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. yeah, he can probably bench, like, around 135 or 140. Oh, you that's know, just, nice. Yeah, he's just, uh, he, I think that, I don't know if he'd be, like, a naturally talented lifter. I, I do think that he would... Uh, be stronger than a lot of his friends kind of, uh, you know, uh, right off the bat, which he's kind of already, he's already proven that. But he and I had a similar situation where he was exposed to it through, through PE. They were, you know, talking about lifting and I, I showed him and his sister, I, I talked to them forever about from, from the time they were kids, I would say, Hey, you don't eat that. It makes you fat. Like I just let, I just made it plain and simple. Mm -hmm. I made it black and white. I didn't even try to sell it as like health and didn't try to sell it as anything mental. I was like, this makes you fat <laughs> period. Just left it right there. As I got older, I started sharing more with them and not saying the word fat because I didn't want them to have a complex mm -hmm. about that. But when they were young, they, they understood that. And that they, they started to learn like my daughter would like eat something and I'd say, hey, uh, you won't, you know, she'd be done with like dinner or whatever. I'd say, hey, you want a cookie? And she's like, nah, I already had one today. You know, because she she kind of like learned. They they kind of learned the rhythm. But I showed both of them how to how to lift. I was like, here's some basic exercises. Like I don't know anything else, so uh, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna show you what I know. And if you guys want more, if you want to work out with me more, you want to learn more mm -hmm. stuff, then we can do it. But I just showed them a couple exercises and, and left it at that. And then my son and I, he and I go on walks pretty much every night, uh, me, him, and my dad. And sometimes my daughter will come with us too. Um, you know, we're big, big proponents of the 10 minute walk around my house. We do it, do them all the time. And, um, you know, we'll go for a 20 minute walk or so at night and we get done with this walk and my dad goes and does his own thing. And my daughter gets back in the house. My son's like, Hey dad, he's like, you know, we've been, uh, we've been lifting in school. And I'm like, Oh, cool. And he, and, uh, I'm not saying anything and he's just kind of like pausing and he's kind of, he just, he just, he uh, wanders around a lot. He's like walking back and forth. He's like pacing. And he's like, um, he's like, I think I want to, I think I want to like lift more. You know, I like, I want to work on it. He tried not to jump out of your shoe. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'm like, like the Rocky music starts playing in my head. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, I said, you know, uh, I said, maybe, I said, maybe we'll go this weekend. Just like try to make it totally seem like nothing, you know? And then, yeah, that weekend I woke him up and brought him here. And then he's been kind of lifting ever since. Oh, that's freaking awesome. Yeah, that's man. exciting. And I ask him, like, I'm like, do you like it? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll fun. He's like, yeah. yeah. Are you sore? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we, on both uh, your podcast and our podcast, uh, we talked a lot about desired outcomes, self-awareness. You, you uh, talk a lot about self-talk. Uh, I would love to hear something specific that, 
you have uh, been working on internally yourself this past year or, or two uh, that you probably have a lot of conversations with yourself about? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I uh, chat with myself more than anybody else. That's for sure. Um, you know, I, I, so when I talk about, you know, this in, internal talk, I think some people might think it's a little bit weird. Some people might be down with it. Um, and some people might not have any idea what the hell I'm talking about. Um, you quickly realize how much internal talk there is once you start to realize how negative you can be. And, uh, you know, one of my goals is to go through a whole day and, and not be negative one time, but it's mm. very hard. It's, it's very, very difficult. And I, I try to even change, even with like messing around with somebody, I try to even change that. Cause I've learned that like, you know, ha like having two older brothers growing up and, uh, you know, going through professional wrestling, like you just, you learn how to really chop people down like hard mm. and it's fun, right? Like, cause it's, it's banter. It's like, it's, we're just buddies, man. I'm just, Hey, relax. Uh, but I had to, over a period of time, recognize that, okay, some of these people on social media don't know who I am. I still make mom jokes. I can't help that. If there's a good mom joke to be had, I, I got to say it. But They never get old. Yeah, they never get old. Like but your mom. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, you know, I try to be as, as positive as I can because I'm like, you know what? What if this came at this person the wrong way mm -hmm. at the wrong time? and it cut them down or hurt their feelings. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't ever mean to do that. And so I'm like, that's not who I am as a per I don't want to, you know, portray hate and I don't want to be hateful towards anybody. And so the internal dialogue I have with myself is mainly just to figure out ways of, of being positive. And the reason for it is, <clears throat> is that other people will be plenty negative for you and towards you that you, that you, you got plenty of supply of that. And I actually like to use a lot of negative energy as fuel, which can be uh, a little bit dangerous. You know, it's like using some nitrous. It can give you a nice turbo boost, but you can also end up flying off the road and, and going to the wall, right? But I've used it my whole life. I've used it to squat 1,080. I've used it to bench 854 pounds. And it's not this idea of, you know, I, I'm a raging lunatic or anything, but it's just this idea of, I need the newspaper clipping. You know, I need the Bill Belichick. Like the Patriots somehow, some way, every single game convince themselves that everyone else is out to get them and that they're somehow the underdog. Like how do they do that every year? It's like you're going to your ninth Super Bowl and no one's caught on to this, you know? But Bill Belichick always you doubted pulled, us. Yeah, Bill Belichick always pulls out a quote that someone said in the other person's locker room and he puts it up in their locker room and it's just... I, I feel like in some ways that that gives me like a superpower. It gives me like a leg up on some people. So, you know, as a kid, I was labeled as dumb. I use that as leverage all the time. I use that as fuel. I use that as calories, if you will. That, that's, that's something that fuels me. That's something that drives me. That's something that still to this day, you know, is, is part of the reason why I wake up at four in the morning is to try to get out in front of the day. And on a more positive note, it's to get out in front of the day and to make sure all my other tasks are done. It's to make sure that the day is fulfilled the way that I want to. What I think is really important to grasp is if you live each day, like if you 
let's say that you want to have it like a 10 out of 10 day and, and you actually think about this for a second. You write some things down. What does a 10 out of 10 day look like for you? Uh, maybe it's that you um, spent some time with a loved one and you spent some time with your kids and you did A, B, and C. You fulfilled all your requirements nutritionally. You got in a good workout. You were nice to your friends. You were called your mom or what, like just these things, right? You handled all these things in a day. And when you kind of sit down and you're like, okay, that was a cool day. That was get real. I did everything I needed to. There's nothing, there's nothing in this day that I'm like, oh, I'll just do it tomorrow. You got everything done that you wanted to do for that day. To me, that's really fulfilling. And I think, I think it's a good concept for a lot of people to try to embrace is you want to try to have the best possible day that you can. And like, how, how do you do that? Where does that start? In the beginning of the podcast, I talked about a pre-workout and I talked about how it could last like a whole week Mm -hmm. because my pre-workout is my last failure or my last success uh, with a particular goal or something that I had in mind, something I wanted to do. If my goal was to bench 400 pounds and I missed it on a Thursday, my like recovery for that starts right then and there. And I start thinking about that. How am I going to get that next week? Or how am I going to rework things over the next couple of weeks to make sure that I get that? And all that starts for me with not waking up early, because I think people see this message that I wake up early. And then some people get frustrated, like, man, you're teaching people not to sleep. (laughs) That's not at all what I'm trying to uh, preach to anyone. I do think, though, that there is something special and there is something magical about learning the discipline of getting yourself to bed on time, whatever time that means for you, for the allotted amount of time that you need to rest and recover for that particular day. And that's how you set yourself up for success. And that's how I think you can set yourself up to have the most fulfilled day that you can. I always share this message of do more, be more. The more that you can do, the more things you can handle, the more things that you can deflect how is anyone at this table going to like hurt the rock's feelings? Mm-hmm. Can't, right? Because he's done more. He is more. He, he does a lot. He is a lot. He's a big deal to a lot of people. And, and there's really, there's not, a, we can throw something out at him and say this or that or, or whatever we want, but it's probably not going to work. And a, a lot of us over a period of time, the more stuff that we do, the more we'll be able to handle. And then we have uh, shitty situations in life maybe we'll be able to handle them and deal with them a little bit better. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the thing that you've been working on most is this this kind of positive attitude or positive reinforcement. Is it more related to how you project yourself to others, like on social media, or is it more like self-love? Like, are you somebody who's hard on yourself so much or you, I'm stupid or that was a dumb idea. And so you're more working on that part of you, hmm. or is it more like, you're quick to fire at somebody who says some shit on social media. Yeah. The social media side of things is, is a weird one. Uh, That one's a little harder to answer. And so like, sometimes I'll even just go off social media um, because my health is important. Like my recovery from stuff is important and social media makes it a little bit difficult for me to recover from the things that I need to do every single day. I train every time I train, I train pretty damn hard. I'm still trying to push some uh, big weights. I still have some uh, lofty goals. And so I can't allow, like, is, is social media enhancing what I'm doing or is it hurting? You know, how does it help? How does it hurt? These are questions I ask myself throughout the day, whenever I'm going to do anything, have a cup of coffee, eat anything, um, 
just I, even just someone calls me up at seven o'clock says hey you want to meet me at eight to go to dinner uh hold on a second hey mark how does this help how does this hurt you know that's that's what i'm thinking that's the dialogue in my head because i'm like if i go out at eight and then i'm back at 10 and then and then I just ate and then I'm, you know, I usually try to finish my food two hours before I go to bed and now it'd be 11 and 12 and mm. leaks into the next day. And my, so the anxiety, a lot of these things that people are suffering from, I don't want to just sell it off and say that like, hey man, if you just did the shit you need to, that you'd be fine. But if you just did the shit that you need to, you'd probably be fine. You know, if you did, if you did the dishes when you're supposed to, if you made your bed when you're supposed to, if you, if you ate the correct foods, if you had a 10 out of 10 day, if you did all the stuff that you were supposed to do, it's going to require, you know, life is going to require to require you to do the things that you don't want to do when you normally don't want to do them. When you sit on the couch, you just got home from a long day and <laughs> you're thinking to yourself, oh, time for a 10 minute walk that kind of creeps in. You're like, I shouldn't be sitting here scrolling through Instagram. That's when there's absolutely no more decisions to be made. And you just walk your ass out the door and you go do that 10 minute walk because you're trying to create new habits and new disciplines. And I think that a lot of people will feel a lot more fulfilled and they'll feel a lot better about themselves as they continue to, to achieve more in terms of like, you know, the message out to social media. I don't, <clears throat> I don't mind being negative. You know, I don't mind being a dick and I don't mind telling people like this is because it's my social media and it's my, it's my thoughts. These are, these are my thoughts that I developed in this way. And I hope that you enjoy them and I hope that you get something out of them. I hope that they're entertaining, but if they hit you the wrong way, then I, 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 I don't know how to help you because uh, I just, I'm never intending on hurting anybody. I'm never intending on being a negative in anybody's life. I'm never intending to pull anything away. All I'm trying to do is add to someone's life. So if I made some posts the other day about like fasting and I showed like no food, you know, like I'm going to do some ridiculous, weird stuff sometimes. And just that's what I felt like sharing. So that's what I'm going to do. Wow. Excellent. What what's in store for the future with uh, with you and with your your company, with your business? Yeah, with uh, Slingshot, you know, we're always we're always creating uh, new products. We got a bunch of things, a uh, bunch of things in the works, but <laughs> You know, it's just pretty much business as usual. It's just trying to communicate to the customers on what it is that we have. We have a lot of products. The Slingshot is, is a supportive upper body device for bench press, push-ups, and dips. Uh, the Slingshot and the uh, Hip Circle are things that have been copied by nearly every fitness brand that you can think of. The Slingshot's a little bit harder to copy because it is patented. The Hip Circle, it's a circle, so I wasn't able to patent it. But you see everyone sells a booty oh, band. I see the booty bands. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask Yeah, you everyone, okay. everyone sells. And makes me feel great. You know, like, so what? I mean, there's, there's no shortage. There's not a shortage of money, you know, to be made. There's not a shortage of success out there. There's, there's not, it's, there's not an unlimited amount of money to be made. I'm, I'm sure. But, um, I don't care. You know, I don't care if other people ha are executing uh, on some things. I'm just hoping that I can figure out a way to execute better. That's where my focus needs to be. My focus can't be on, oh man, these people are like, it's easy to sit there and go, everyone's copying. Well, it's not everyone, first of all. And <laughs> yeah. secondly, it's like, you know, who are these people and let them copy you. That's right. great. You know, in professional wrestling, there's only so many different stories you can tell. And uh, if you go out and do a match and you go out and do a match, and you go out and do a match, what are the odds that my match is similar? Probably is. Right. Mm -hmm. But what if I do it 10 times better than you guys? 
no one's going to remember what you did. No mm -hmm. one's going to remember the shit that you guys did, right? They're not going to, uh, it's, they're not going to even feel the same way about it. They might not even recognize it as being the same thing at all. Mm. And so some of the things that we're trying to do here at Slingshot are we're trying to, you know, turn this into a juggernaut of a company where the things that we do are different. They're so different that other people can't follow it. They can't follow it up. They can't figure it out. And the things that we have that we're about to start to do, other people just won't do it. They won't be able to afford it. It'll be too hard for them to execute. We're going to kind of uh, Zappos and uh, Stitch Fix our, uh, all, of our, all of our products. So basically, uh, we will have, we've got a pretty loose return policy as is, um, but you'll be able to order like four or five knee sleeves at a time if you want. Oh, right. You send back, like, you're like, ah, I'm not sure, man. They got a bunch of different knee sleeves. I don't know what fits and what doesn't fit. And so what we're trying to create with something like that is we're trying to create as if you were coming into our store, which is here in West Sacramento, and you were trying on knee sleeves. And I'm like, oh, you know, you should try this one on. And you're like, well, I don't really want one that's that stiff. I don't really squat that much weight anymore. I just want something that's warm. And I'd say, oh, we'll try this one on. So it would be the kind of similar process you would you would pay for however many knee sleeves you wanted to order, and then you could ship them back very easily. So those are some things that we're working on uh, executing and just, you know, like I, I don't, <clears throat> you guys mentioned competition earlier. Like I, I have kind of a weird thing where I, I can get competitive with people on some stuff, but I don't think, I don't, I don't think you and I reserving our energy to like lock horns is a fucking great idea. You know, like I think that we're both going to get like beat up from it and we're both going to like, eventually kind of lose from it right it's going to like suck like maybe he beats me on one thing i beat him on another but if if i'm working out with you guys which hopefully you guys will come back someday and we'll, we'll get a workout in I, I you know if you're using 150 pounds on a lat pull down or something i'm not going to try to do 160 right. you know or or you know i just i don't like to i don't care about stuff like that i don't i, don't, I try not to waste my time with that because i feel like it's easy to look at the word competition and being competitive as, as if it's a positive thing, but it has so many negatives around it as well. As I was mentioning to you guys earlier, like you think about the people that haven't been competitive, the people that have gone outside, the free thinkers, the people have done their own thing, their own way. Well, shit, man, they're extremely successful. Not only is it successful, they go down in history forever and they make monuments of those people because they thought so differently that they didn't even think about, I don't even, I don't even want to do battle with you. Right. Well, they may, they may be competitive more with themselves than anything. Right. Right. They're right. competitive maybe in their own way or mm -hmm. they, mm -hmm. or they look at competition maybe in a slightly different way. But as I had mentioned to you guys earlier, like if you want to be competitive, maybe you start a restaurant and do what everybody else does and sell all the same shit that they do. Or maybe you start a YouTube channel and, and <laughs> start uh, hustling some t-shirts or something like that. Or you can kind of Amazon it and be a free thinker and do something that no one else has ever done before. Right. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that. thanks for coming on, That's man. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys so much. Yeah, yeah. That was a lot time. of fun, man. Great time, a blast, bro. brother. Thank yep. you. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but 
at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs>